and welcome to Elite Rugby Banter. It's the podcast about rugby. Uh, I am Adam, coming to you from Johannesburg, and uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Mitch from Australia. Not where, where, where in Australia are you, Mitch? Uh, hey guys, I'm from Brisbane in Queensland. So uh, joining very sad and somber from last night, but uh, excited to be on. No, great. Well, look, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And just on a, when we were just getting ready before we went live, it appears you're the most prepared person here. Which I guess makes a lot of sense. Actually, you've actually watched watched more rugby than the rest of us. Uh, but no, thank you very much for joining us. How's how is Brisbane? I've actually been to Brisbane before. Uh, it seems like a nice place, but quite humid. Oh, it, fantastic! And that's the thing. It's our winter at the moment, and it's still you know shirts and shorts weather. So really nothing to complain about here, other than I guess a bit of rugby thing we'll get into. But um. Yeah, <laughs> all things going great. No, excellent. Uh, Alex, um, uh, you were complaining that uh, while well, I've seen a lot of South and Joe, but clearly Mitch is getting tons of it in Brisbane. Are you getting any in Cape Town? Um, yeah, how's it going, Adam? It's not too bad, actually. It's pretty clear today, but it's a bit windy. So I took the dog for a walk, and I'm, uh, I'm kind of dig- digging in indoors now, I think, for the rest of the day. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Good. Um, and Matt, are you complaining about too much sun? Yeah, too much heat. I've started wearing a little towel around my neck to catch the sweat for the last couple of days <laughs> while I'm in the flat. You, you could shave off your beard, you know, that, that might help. No, that doesn't get hot. My face what? isn't hot. My face isn't hot. My beard doesn't get hot. It's everywhere else. Like the back of my neck is just dripping with water. That's a little <laughs> towel around the back of my neck. So I look like a, I look like I'm training for boxing or something just constantly. So I'm trying to stop myself picturing that. It's not, it's not a very pleasant sight. You like sitting there sweating, you know. So Dude, you, uh, I wasn't designed for humidity. I'm gonna, I'm just yeah, gonna put no, that out. No, no, are you gonna come? Are you gonna come back from Korea as like a backline player, having lost so much weight? No, no, no. Let's not be ridiculous here. I'm going back as a, <laughs> at minimum, at minimum, a heavy seven. <laughs> um, Mitch, you uh, downgraded uh, from tight end to lucid. Yeah, yeah uh, essentially. Uh, Mitch, I imagine you, you played rugby, right? I think I'm the only one actually yeah. to play. What position did you play? It's very important to know um, for, for, uh, for, for the record. Had a bit of a yeah, had a bit of a revolving door. I guess started out as a, a lock, but um, that's because I peaked in height at about 12, shifted to open side flanker, and then most recently inside center, just wherever they could fit me. Jesus. But yeah. Nice. I had the revolving door problem that the Wallabies have, but wasn't big enough to be a forward or fast enough to be a back, so. <laughs> yeah, sounds like me. Mm. Uh, well, I think, look, we'll, we'll get a little bit into that, along with uh, Salakai Lotto, apparently. Uh, there, there's yes. Much... <laughs> there's much talk yeah. um, about him. But just a quick quick uh, sum up of, of our agenda for today. Since we actually have a guest on, we need to uh, you know, be, be relatively professional, <clears throat> otherwise we're going to let the team down. Uh, okay, the intro done. We've got some news to go through. Then we're just going to go through the two games, uh, well, in the Southern Hemisphere anyway. Uh, the All Blacks uh, beating Australia and South Africa very, very luckily beating Argentina. And then um, where Mitch is going to especially shine, he's going to be helping us out with the World Cup previews. He's going to be doing Australia. I'm going to cover Wales poorly because Ben whisked out. And Alex, you got Namibia. You said you haven't prepared. And Matt will be speaking in the voice of... Um, so, Matt, who, which kind of gentleman volunteered from Georgia to do the preview? Uh, what's his surname? I, know, I just know uh, his name is Lado. Lado, yeah. Lado uh, Tsurukidze. Oh, Lado, if you're listening, I'm really sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, that sounded pretty I good. Think, I think Georgian surnames are one of the coolest things. 
I was having like, so much fun just practicing pronouncing them. I'm still going to butcher all of them, but I was having yeah. so much <laughs> like reading through things, like just practicing them. Yeah, it's it's a cool. Yeah, I I think yeah. If we we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more when we get there, but I think for a lot of people, George is like a spiritual second side. Um, everyone just seems to love watching Georgia play, and like there's so many cool Georgians playing in like European leagues and in Japan. Obviously, we've spoken a lot about uh, Jamba Bragvadze playing for the Sunwolves. Um, so, yeah, shout out to the Georgians. Yeah, I spent a significant chunk of my morning looking up one of the guys in his in his write-ups, like just clips of him on YouTube. I'll get to that later, though. Mm, okay. Cool. Uh, all right, well, let's, let's immediately kick it off and just go straight into some news. Uh, first of all, Steve Hansen. He's just said he's dismissed the concerns about the fact that the All Blacks uh, might lose or have lost the world number one ranking, even though they, they did beat Australia. I'm not mentioning the score for Mitch's benefit, but then Wales came back <laughs> and won, th- and won th- 13-6 in England and Cardiff. So um, he doesn't really care uh, about that. I still think they have some problems. But a more interesting story coming out of the more Wales, uh, excuse me, England game. Is there some comments made by Eddie Jones? Uh, I'd be interested to hear, hear what you say about that. He says that Test Rugby is now a mixture of NFL and soccer, just to read, read uh, this is from Stuff by Charlie Morgan. I have, a, I have a feeling they've pulled it from somewhere else. He believes that Tess Rapi has evolved into a hybrid of uh, NFL and soccer over the past 12 months, uh, where he believes it places a greater onus on pace, power, and tactical kicking at the World Cup. Such a shift comprising longer passages of un- unstructured play uh, has led him to pick a slightly different team. And then Jones just said, Brown is a great fullback. He's a great defensive fullback, but we feel the way we want to play, we need a fullback who can attack and with pace. Fortunately for us, Elliot Daly and what's our best options. And then they asked Daly. Daly said that he estimates 65% of rugby now at an international level anyway is unstructured to 35% unstructured. Is that true from what we see? Uh, and I just think it's an interesting thought. They get getting on how we yeah. always get told a lot about structure. Here in South Africa particularly, where we love structured rugby. It's a, f- it's a funny point for him to say it's like NFL and then say, yeah, it's very unstructured. Because all NFL is is just one structured movement to the next. Yeah, I don't know. That seems like a weird comparison. It's a, yeah, it's a bad analogy. I would have arguing football, yes, because there it's unstructured. But the NFL, I don't understand. But that aside, I think there is more sort of open play. Mm. But I mean, Super Rugby's always been. I think that's something Super Rugby's always been known for is a lot less sort of set piece reliance, more yeah. running around rugby. I think it's a Northern yeah. Hemisphere thing. I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested about this because. I think that, so, I mean, Adam, you mentioned South Africans are kind of obsessed with structure. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, like, that the Springboks' relative success of the last, uh, let's say, year and a half, or two years maybe, um, has been, like, on the, purely on the back of structure. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't think we, we winning games or drawing against New Zealand because we're just, like, naturally more talented or athletic or have more flair or anything like that. I think it's 100% because we structured, we take control of the game and force it into a paradigm where we're comfortable. And that's what shakes up a team like New Zealand who have like the, the dual player makers and Richie Mwanga mm-hmm. and Bowden Barrett who are so dependent on just being able to outplay their opponents. And that's the thing, like this, this, this defensive system we now have with Lukanyo Am at, at 13 with the rush defense is basically all about shutting down your options because so many teams are reliant on, you know, you get the ball and then you've got a split second to 
to like look at your options and make the right call, and suddenly you don't have the options you thought you had, and then next thing you know, it's like half time and you haven't actually done anything. So I, I think it's a big generalization. I mean, it's it's fine for him to say you know England is choosing to play this way, but I don't think the true I don't think the same is necessarily true of South Africa. I don't think it's true so much of Ireland because I think Ireland still mm. have like a very structured approach to the game. Um, Wales, I don't know. I don't watch enough Welsh rugby. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I assume they're very structured. I assume Wales. Yeah. Uh, and I actually wanted to ask Mitch. I feel like um, Australia. I always get worried when we play when we play Australia anyway. When the game breaks down and it's a bit looser, because uh, I always say from I don't know from my perspective all the way. <laughs> In SA, they always say like uh, Aussie rugby players, they're generally very good footballers. They're multi-skilled individuals. I mean, you, you don't see a lot of our yeah. backs throwing uh, like offloads like James O'Connor did to Reese Hodge uh, the other week. Do you? I don't know. Do you feel that Australia are better in, in a game where it's a little bit looser or a bit more of a structure? Um, especially the last two weeks have given an interesting, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a view of, of the Australian game back to front, of the good and the bad. Yeah, I think that previously you'd say that Australia would have been better with unstructured play because, as you said, they've had pretty good footballers and there are a lot of backline players that could create something from nothing. But I think at the moment the bigger problem is they don't really have a structure, nor are they playing that well in unstructured footy. They seem to be out of the top 10 teams, probably the team that has the least idea of what their game plan is. I don't think you could sit someone down and say, what are they trying to do? Because I don't know if they know what they're trying to do. It's Yeah. I'd say they're probably still better suited to an unstructured game. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of the time that's against New Zealand who are better at doing that. And when they come mm. up against Ireland, South Africa and England that play very well structured, they don't get given the chance to have unstructured gameplay. So yeah, they're in a bit of a tight spot in regard to how they, they face teams like that. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we're going to mention Squid Rugby uh, soon as part of the news. Yeah, he did a video um, this week about uh, Australia's win against New Zealand uh, in Perth, and he just noted how, weirdly enough, he did a video assuming <laughs> Australia would lose in Perth yeah. and then had to redo it. Um, I, th- I thought it was very insightful in terms of how Australia play incredibly flat, and they play a very yeah. high-risk, high-reward attack. I mean, our defence apparently is, is a bit the same. And, I mean, we'll get on to it uh, quite shortly in terms of uh, Bledisloe 2. Uh, in, at Auck- not Auckland Park, sorry, it's a suburb in South Africa. At Eden Park, um, it didn't quite come off. They played, tried to play the same sort of structure, but due to little errors yeah. and, and that sort of thing. So, I, I don't know. I feel like Australia's very much high-risk, high-reward uh, at, at the moment. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> and on top of that, I think um, you're right there, high-risk, high-reward, but also a confidence team. And they yeah. you know, struggled to hit the ground running in the game last night and... Just, I think that compounded everything. You know, that mm. that risk became like, oh, we need to try something even more brazen, um, mm. which just came off to even less effect. Yeah, but well, look, we'll we'll we'll, we'll save some of the vinegar uh, for yeah, that. Well, <laughs> that yeah, before, before we get stuck in. So, but interesting thoughts about Eddie Jones. I know he's uh, he's a provocative guy, yeah. and it's always interesting to think about the more the meta, the meta in rugby. I know the thirty-two World Championships is, is happening right now. It's always about the meta. Mm. Um, quickly, just moving on to some other pieces of news. Uh, apparently, Rassi Erasmus, he's passed the transformation test here in South Africa. Uh, Mark Alexander, the president of SRAP, he just said that Rassi knows what to do. It is not necessary for us to remind him of transformation. He's mature enough to fulfill his mandates, and so far he's exceeded our expectations. So, no, there won't be any pressure on him from the top. And then Alexander said, our run on 15 will, in most games, have the desired number of black players. In fact, because our players come through naturally based on merit, we're actually beyond that desired number. Um, we, look, we don't need to, I think, bang on about this too much. I think he said it there 
the fact that everybody's come through merits is now it, we're going to avoid a really paid sort of situation such as 2015 uh, which uh, which was a bit embarrassing mm-hmm. I must say I, I, all the players are there in merit but Paige uh, I don't know I, I, thought Paige, I thought Paige was there in merit yeah I don't know I, don't, I, I rated him Kutsia didn't. Yeah, that was the problem. Is like Kutsia didn't, but he kept saying, "Oh, everyone's here on merit." But then he wouldn't back. He wouldn't back to players. Come on so, the field, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it was the same. Like Heineken Mayer had the same problem. Um, and I think that's the nice thing about Rusty is that, like, he's he's honest about what he thinks. So he's not trying to pull the wool over the public's eyes. He picks the players that he thinks deserve to be there, and then he gives them an the opportunity. Mm. Um, I think. I mean, so other than. Like Lades against Australia, he was on the bench, and I think most people were quite excited to see him on the bench because yeah. he had a good Super Rugby season and he deserved another opportunity in the Springbok jersey to prove himself. And then he didn't come off the bench, and that that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that always used to happen with with Rudy Page, um, and even and Embrose Papier. I mean, we were talking about that mm. uh, like a year ago, basically. Oh, no, I would, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, compare it to. I don't know. I just felt the fact that. No, no. Like when I'm just saying in terms of in yeah. terms of treatment by the coaches. Oh, I see. Yeah. So no, Papier that... and Page received similar treatment from their coaching staff, whereas we've seen uh, Rusty break the the trend with uh, Herschel Yanchis, mm. who went straight into the the bench, the starting twenty three essentially, or the the match day twenty three, and then a, a one game after his debut was starting. So Rusty puts his money where his mouth is, and I think that's that makes a big difference. No, it's true. I, well, maybe that's why the perception I thought that Page got done in a little bit, got done dirty, mm-hmm. uh, because he wasn't given that opportunity. Even even Ambrose Papier, he's not falling down the wayside. His biggest issue is he's not getting enough game time at the Bulls uh, as well. I think. Yeah, thinking... but I mean, look at Page. He went from Springboks to fucking Curry Cup, not even Super Rugby anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's just because just because of the poison chalice of not getting game time, so. The coaches obviously go, oh, shit, what's wrong with this kid? Mm. So, uh, Rudy Page, yeah. if you are listening, I do apologize if, <laughs> if, if I have done you dirty. I just, that's the optics of how it looked to me, uh, the fact that he'd been picked without a cap. Uh, but the, the same happened to Derek Hochart lifting in 2003, and we got wrecked. So, um, yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, okay, a couple of other quick ones for news. Apparently, Bongi Yombanambi, he is being offered a 10 million rand contract. That's about a, a million Australian dollars, Mitch, just, just for context. No. <laughs> uh, uh, to go play for the Kings uh, for the next two and a half years uh, in Pro 14. And this is believed to be 2 million rand more than you would earn at the Stormers in the same period. Ah, so it's 10 million rand over the two and a half year contract. Okay. Yeah, it's over the two and a half year okay, contract. Okay, yeah. Uh, Umbanambi, he's played 29 tests for the box since making his debut in 2016. Apparently his agent, uh, Gert Andries van der Merwe, said he will meet with the player Pretoria, uh, I think, over the weekend to discuss the matter. Uh, quick one, where should he go? Uh, Kings? Good, I name? want him there at the Kings. I want him at the Kings. Yeah, I think he should go to the Kings, and, and I think he should try and convince a couple of other Stormers to jump ship with him. I really think <laughs> he can drag one. Because the Kings don't don't have a hooker, actually. Because they had their old, their old hooker, or their starting hooker, essentially, left the team now this season, yeah. at the end of last season. So they are shy a starting hooker. And I think yeah. taking taking the Springbok second 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 hooker is most probably the smartest move for them. So I'm not surprised they're throwing $10 million at it. Well, it'd be nice yeah. to see him in Pro 14, uh, as well, maybe. Uh, that seems to, uh, forwards, Jenny, in my opinion, they get a little bit better. When they play overseas, backs. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. That, that's a very uneducated opinion. What about Surf- Serpentine's having a wild season? There, Adam Serpentine <laughs> was probably the best centre in France. Why would I know about what Jan Serpentine's doing, Matt? I don't know. You tell me. How's how's 
Yeah, don't, don't you get it on your Blue Bulls supporters yeah. chat chat group on WhatsApp? No, I get SMSs from people... the Blue Bulls because no, I, don't, no, no. I don't know how they Alex, got my marketing Alex, information. Alex, the Blue Bulls, the Blue Bulls <laughs> fan chat is on Telegram, not WhatsApp. No. Don't I you guys? Don't want, yeah. so I don't want Facebook spying on it so on their happen. racist jokes. Did you guys have a Discord channel or something? No, we we don't have a Discord channel. Do you see, Mitch? Do you see what these guys do? They just paint lies. <laughs> They say, I'm, I put, for the record, I'm a Lions fan, actually, uh, in Joburg. And, uh, do, you, do, you get, do you get SMSs from the Lions, Adam? No. But do you get you SMSs got an SMS from, from the Bulls. Do you, get, do you get SMSs from the Blue Bulls, Adam? I, I do, but that's because I'm, I, okay. I'm on the I think, same... I think we can put this matter to I'm bed. on the same cell decided. phone provider as uh, the Bulls are sponsored. Um, Everyone's on the same cell phone <laughs> provider that the Bulls are sponsored by Adam. <laughs> Alex, do you get SMSs from the Bulls? No. Are you on Vodacom? Uh, yeah. yeah. There you go, Adam. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not banned by the Lions on Twitter, like you are, Alex. Yeah, but Alex isn't a fan of the Lions. They don't, like, the Lions don't ban everyone on Twitter that doesn't support them. I'm they're not, not banned fa- by the Lions. They're not Lions. fascists. Not... I mean, they, they might be the next best thing, but they're not fascists. <laughs> no, they're religious oligarchs. They're not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, speaking, speaking of the Sorry. Lions, speaking of the Lions, um, Sways to Brain, the Springbok, uh, we've got two more, two more news items to get through. Sways to Brain, he stepped down this week, apparently, uh, from the Springboks due to health um, and stress-related reasons. Um, I know, Russ, I'm sorry, I don't have the story in front of me. I just, I just reminded when you're talking about the, the, li- uh, the Lions. Um, yeah, bit of a loss, bit of a loss for for the box. But if Swayze wasn't feeling that happy, I mean, who, someone mentioned in, in in the group that he'd worked more in development structures, a bit more behind mm. the scenes for quite some time, and he's only really yeah. been uh, the, a head coach for about two, three years and more in the limelight. Uh, and apparently, and also I know he he's an incredibly religious man. Um, he didn't feel too good about the Lions playing on a Sunday. Uh, ironically, I'm assuming yeah, because the Lions are playing today. That's yeah. also it's like. <laughs> in the news, like in the build-up to the weekend that they're playing on a Sunday. Oh shit, my heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. But uh, we all we can say is Swayze. Uh, we've heard, based on what others have said about you in the media, uh, we wish you the very best uh, in going forward, and hopefully you can just get back to doing something that you really enjoy in rugby, um, particularly on the there was side. Huh? A silver lining to this is, I think, one brought it up, is that was it Jake White? Yeah, Jake White said he brought in Eddie Jones. At about this time during their prep as well for the yeah. World Cup. Yeah. And everyone in the camp said it was a breath of fresh air and it was such a good thing to have a fresh set of eyes that late in the game that they could tweak one or two things. So maybe we see something interesting come out of this. That's yeah. sort of the silver lining everyone's playing out of this story. Mm. This one reminded us, hey, wait, Eddie Jones did this last We did this with Eddie Jones last time. I don't think any Jones is available this time around, unfortunately. Uh, if we, I'm sure if we ask England nicely. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth a try. Our matches are on different days to this, so maybe you can just moonlight. Oh. Uh, oh, what about what about, what about about P-Div? I mean, I'm sure he's qualified to coach. Oh, that would be such a slap in the face <laughs> for the South African rugby union if, if Rassi just like brought Peter de Villiers back in under the cover of darkness. To assistant just, coach for the World Cup. Just like shave off your snort, you and know, like reverse put on a fake mustard. You know, he just puts like a silicone strip over his snort. Mm. <laughs> Who I is think, this? Like, Peter de Villiers would do almost anything to get back into professional coaching, but I don't think he'd shave his mustache. Nah. Yeah, that's why I say I changed it to just putting a strip of like <laughs> brown silicone over his top lip. Uh, <laughs> mo- moving on. Uh, moving on, just just our final final piece of news. Um, Australian rugby great David Campisi and uh, Mitch, I'd be interested to get your get your thoughts. He's apparently very disappointed that he didn't make the shortlist for the vacant Waratahs head coaching job. 
this is after um, All Black Dale, well, former All Black Dale Gibson, he's um, called it a day in Sydney. He just said on Twitter, I received a call to say that I haven't made it through to the final two candidates for the Warriors Hards head coaching role. The reason I don't have enough experience as a head coach, it seems my experience as an international player and coach at all levels of rugby, from international <laughs> level, Super 50 level, and right down to grassroots level over the past 40 years, wasn't enough. Okay, just having a bit of a bleat. That's sure. Does he have a... Do we know if he has a grade three certificate? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. But uh, if, you follow him, if you follow him on Twitter, I'm not even sure he's got a grade three like grade three <laughs> certificate, let alone uh, a level four certificate. Because I was going to say, the Kings are technically still looking for a coach, and if he's got that grade three on lock, <laughs> this is a shoo-in. He's, like, he's famously... Like illegible on Twitter, his none of his tweets like make sense. He can't write properly. How are you, Adam? Are you his ghostwriter on Twitter? No, <laughs> no, I'm not his ghostwriter on Twitter. He just kept easy as I said. His proposal to uh, New South Wales rugby was to overhaul the current coaching system and invest in a new one that is emerged from the top and at all levels, right down at grassroots level. How do you expect to produce talent and depth without investing in the systems that produce them? I propose showing up the start of rugby, bringing back, <laughs> bringing back a winning mentality. Through a coach style that encourages attacking, running rugby, and risk taking. Um, Mitch, uh, I, I, actually, I actually wanted to ask you because we, we've, we joke a lot about Brad Thorne and the sort of effect that he's yeah. had uh, had in Queensland. Uh, has he like shaken up uh, the union wholeheartedly? But I know from a ethos, I'll use that word, ethos point of view, he doesn't take any shit. He uh, anybody crosses him, he's like no. Um, like as, as I assume you're a Reds fan. <laughs> If you live in Brisbane, yeah. Uh, overall, the sort of stuff that he's doing there, uh, from your perspective, I mean, just to know, also because we're mining for for information for our draft next year. Um, uh, how, of course. How, yeah, how's, how's it going in, in Queensland, by the way? Because he's been there for two years now, uh, I think. I've been there for two years, yeah, and he's had a lot of success um, with the Queensland country and the NRC. So I think just given the caliber of player he was, and given the success he had with the younger. Uh, players that everyone's thought, yep, just get him in. Uh, it'll make such an immediate change. Mm. The problem is we've had so many years of, I guess, abject failure from Richard Graham <laughs> predominantly that we're still sort of dusting off the cobwebs. And mm. it's it's been the hardest job as an Australian and a Reds fan to try and convince people that we're improving because if you look at the 2019 ladder compared to the 2018 ladder, I think it's probably the same number of wins. Um, they're probably better wins and closer losses, but there hasn't actually been that much of a, a noticeable change other than, no, we won't play Cooper. No, we won't accept Slipper or Hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we will take back James O'Connor. So mm. um, I'm, I'm a big thorn <laughs> yeah. advocate. I, I do like I do like having him. Uh, but it is hard to say that it's been a success so far. I think it will be in the future. And we seem to be getting a lot of uh, young, promising forwards in. But we just don't have any established star power, especially with Karevi leaving. It's... It's really a, a hard sort of foundation to build from. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then just looking looking more widely, um, just uh, with with the Waratahs gig open, and I don't know, it also seems like quite a tough job to be the Waratahs head coach. Almost well, between that and Queensland, one of the, one of the high profile jobs. Are there any young Are there any young coaches like a Scott Robertson or something like that on deck uh, that uh, you reckon would be a good shot to get that position? Because apparently Andrew Hall is in Japan interviewing candidates and all that sort of stuff. But is there, are there any names that maybe we, we wouldn't be aware of uh, that we should watch out for in the future from the coaching side? Um, the name that's popped up a few times is Scott Wisemantle. He's um, been the only name I've heard sort of linked to the job and linked to helping with the Wallabies. He's currently coaching, I think, he was over in Montpellier doing a 
that work with one of their teams and he's been in Leon and Japan before. Um, there's not a lot of candidates really on offer, which I think is why there's a lot of pressure on the positions is we're expecting someone basically with no credentials to come in and, you know, get a premiership first season in. But I think New South Wales have shot themselves in the foot a bit because Campisi has been the most eager to get the job, has a lot of experience and is a well-renowned player and very public about what he wants to do and it all sounds quite positive. Mm. So I think if the Waratahs don't get someone in that can deliver or that, you know, can do a job to at least that high standard, they're going to look quite foolish for, you know, not giving him the position, especially given Daryl Gibson era of, you know, not having any real success signing on for another year, but then when things got too difficult this year, calling it quits, or like it didn't really make much sense. Mm. Yeah, well, I think we'll be watching with interest uh, who, who ends up, particularly in Sydney, because uh, I mean the Waratahs, but between the Waratahs yeah. and Queens, and they meant to be representing Australian rugby. Melbourne, yeah, you know, they just they've they've, yeah. <laughs> they've bought a lot of players, so uh, that will be. Quick one to watch. Uh, just final quick piece of news. Just a big, quick shout out to the Springbok women's team. Uh, they have qualified for the 2021 World Cup after they beat uh, in New Zealand, excuse me, uh, after they beat Kenya 39-0. So uh, congrats to to uh, the ladies' side. Uh, we will be checking them out, I guess, in a couple of years. And I don't know if it's their first qualification, uh, but either way, good job. I know there's a video of Twitter uh, of everybody celebrating. So uh, that's just good news, just to, to talk about uh, the other the other Springbok Springbok rugby team. So uh, congrats. Right, now, to mm-hmm. m- move into... Yeah, sorry, Matt. I heard, I heard you go. I think they have qualified. Yeah. No, not Matt. I think, I'm saying, I think they have qualified before. I think. I don't know. Never mind. Oh, oh. oh sorry. And one final thing. Uh, Squidge Rugby. I know Alex, he's tried to um, you know, speak to you on Twitter. Apparently, he's been reported by uh, the Six Nations uh, and his channel uh, for whatever reason. Oh, so, 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 so some of let me just let me quickly get through this. Some yeah. of his videos, uh, quite a few have actually been removed, um, and apparently they've lodged five strikes against them. This is from his Twitter feed against the channel. Apparently, if you get three strikes uh, against you, your whole thing gets removed. Uh, and actually, um, Squidge is very upset, uh, as he notes in the one tweet. This channel represents likely hundreds of thousands of hours of work. I've put all all I am into these videos for almost two years. This is my livelihood, my passion, and to have it torn apart by a company you thought you loved is absolutely crushing. But then, this, and then he tweeted six hours later. I can scarcely begin to express how much the response this morning meant. In minutes, I went from anxious and scared of losing two years of work to feeling so appreciated and supported. Thank you, one. Thank you all, and thank you, Wales, for being in England right when I needed it, right when I needed it most. So uh, very brief. I know Matt, Matt's going to rage uh, about this, but uh, for I think on behalf of everybody who enjoys uh, a bit of humour and some frankly excellent analysis uh, that I always enjoy learning about. Uh, we hope Squidge sorts it out in Six Nations, you sons of bitches. Why, why did you do this? <laughs> do this to him. Okay, Matt, now, uh, rage away. Please, please go ahead. Yeah, so, so what happened? So, Six Nations got the, th- um, 31 of his videos said that their copyrighted content is on it. Yeah. So, the 31 videos got removed by them. And then, which is, okay, which ha- has happened twice in the with his super, if you look at his videos, he doesn't show super rugby footage because Sanzar's done the same to him, but they've never given him a strike. Because, like you say, three strikes is huge. Like, one strike, I think he doesn't get uh, revenue from watching the videos, which is also massive, but on YouTube it's not so bad anymore. And yeah, as he says in the thing, they didn't need to lodge five separate strikes. They 
they could have lodged because it was one action. They could have just opted for one strike. So they lodged all five. It was a very deliberate choice to lodge all five strikes in one go as well to essentially kill his channel. Mm. So I know Six Nations did also reply to his tweet saying that they've DM'd him and they want to sort it out. But, I mean, fuck, there's no goodwill in that situation from them at all. If they did that first and then they're like, ah, when they look on Twitter and social media and realize that there are, I, I would say, several hundreds with the people calling them cunts. Yeah. <laughs> they realize that they're on the show. Like several hundred people calling them cunts and then with probably thousands just saying, hey, you've done a bad thing. So, yeah, I, so that, I think they're scrambling to try and get some goodwill back. But I don't know because, yeah, like it's... I don't know. It's silly. Because, yeah, so they're obviously nailing him for copyright because mm. of using match footage. But the way he uses footage is very much within fair use. It is transformative. It's analytical. It's whatever. Whichever one of, like, the four definitions of the fair use you want to use. He's using, I think, at least two or three of them. He, fall, he falls within very comfortably. And, like, the others you can maybe stretch, like parody and things like mm. that. Uh. So... Yeah, no, it's fuck off annoying, but yeah. Um, I think he also he rely, he uses a lot of highlights, which as you said, um, falls falls under uh, fair use. Well, the only thing that really irritates irritates me is um, guys like Squidge. <laughs> you even get the draft rugby guys. You know, passionate people about rugby who do who do actually great content. Um, as much as lifting our standards, thankfully this week. But uh, they get they get everybody. They, it's like they keep people interested in rugby. Uh, they drive interest, and I just find as often as cutting the nose off to spite the face. Sort of attitude. It's really against. It. It's like people like yeah, Squares, draft rugby. I'm sure there's, there's hundreds of other. Um, it's not even there. rugby. It's like every sport. It's every sport. The guys, who, the networks that own it. Because either they try, they say, ah, your video contains some of my copyrights, so I'm going to, I get to monetize the video for myself now, which I think YouTube has now swapped around. Has now just cancelled that policy. So if you do copyright claim, you can't monetize it for yourself then as well and earn the revenue yourself from someone else's video that you've now claimed has your copyrighted. Mm. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah anyway, yeah. it's... Uh, so, it's so, hang on. So, um, oh, are the videos... I'm, I'm back. Yes. You um, are the videos sold hot sauce or taking revenge? I haven't had a files. look if they... Still, I haven't even gone to his channel. I haven't gone to uh, his I have. Um, all the... All this, uh, both the Six Nations videos are gone. Uh, it's mainly... Yeah, so, that's what he said. Yeah. They were removed, yeah. It's, it's, you see, that's... That, so that, Obviously, it's from a selfish perspective, but that for me is even an even bigger problem because if you want to try and copy strike it and say, we're going to take whatever revenue you generate from this because you used our content, that's one yeah. thing. But like depriving everyone of the content but is... That's a, and the, like a the problem is... It's funny so because Six Nations... Anyway. Yeah, Six Nations isn't the first to do it. The Sansa has done it to him. But they have, I think they just copyright, they didn't give him a full strike. They just nailed him with a copyright. And then he had to redo, I think, one, they only did it to one video. And then he just doesn't use much super rugby footage. Like he's very specific about super rugby footage. Like you'll see he plays either a blank screen or something when he's yeah. supposed to be showing something for super rugby. Yeah. So like he's, I, he's I, adapted I it, but uh, it's so stupid. It's so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Spot, cutting off your nose to spite your face from six, yeah. from six, six yeah, nations. Sure. 
Uh, anyway, all right. So let's right. Uh, let, let's move on to actually events on the field, and we're going to actually start events off in Auckland uh, from yeah, Eden Park when we're when we speaking about uh, All Blacks beating the Wallabies, 36-0. Uh, Mitch, I mean, you've obviously watched the game intently from from the Australian side. We'll, we'll start with the bad, and we'll head into the good. What, from your perspective, didn't go right uh, for the Wallabies? Um, and then, and then I think maybe we'll do a bit of a silver lining. Uh, just from, I'd be interested to hear your view uh, compared to ours. Okay. Um, I guess the bad started off with just not being able to capitalise on any points. Um, <laughs> the Wallabies made such a habit last week where every opportunity they got, they seemingly took. They might have left a few points right. on the board from Curry holding the ball last week. But yeah, in the game last night, everything just didn't click. Lee Lafano uncharacteristically missed two fairly easy shots at goal. Yes. Um, when they tried to spread it, it didn't get to hand. So it, it was just those moments that they didn't really click, and that just got everything off to a pretty average start. Mm. I think probably the bigger issue, though, is last week uh, Australia conceded four penalties um, and were lauded for how well they you know, behaved because they've had such bad discipline. But in the first two minutes, they'd given away two penalties, maybe three after that scrum, and had already knocked the ball on. Like It, it just started so much worse than last week it's hard to believe it's even the same team mm. yeah uh, that, so, that, that's what surprised me uh, I just felt it was just a bad omen when Lana Fana uh, yeah. missed, missed both those kicks because they, they've been I mean the, the, the All Blacks have been a bit more dominant in territory and possession but I think ultimately it ends up summing up in uh, Richie Mwanga's first try they actually space, yeah. you know, space has been created on the outside and if Beal nailed Hodge with that pass uh, he would have would have been in space but instead Hodge knocks the ball on, and then Warrior gathers and scores. <laughs> I think that's in a nutshell. And, yeah. Mm. You were saying? And, and that goes back to probably the biggest issue with the Wallabies is we've had squads of 36 players, and Corbetti's probably our only genuine winger. Hodge had a great game last week, but otherwise he's, he's not up to test standard for a wing, you wouldn't say, in terms of uh, you know speed or ability to read a play. And there's mm. been times even last week, and obviously that example with Richard Monger, where... He's been on the receiving end of a pass that will either net them seven points or leak seven points. Mm. And he's yeah, more often than not dropping that ball or not being in the right space, whether it's overrunning or mm. just poor hands. I mean, is this, do you think it's a bit of a problem that the Wallabies face where they have kind of too many of these utility players, guys who are, are good at a few things? Because, I mean, we know Hodge has got quite a deep bag of tricks. He, he can kick a ball a country mile. He's yeah. strong. He stands up in a tackle. He's quick enough, you know, to pull off a backline move. But he's not particularly good at any one thing. Like he's not great in the air. So he's he's not like a Ben Smith aerial or like a, an Israel flower in the air. He's not quick enough to match like a Corabetti in terms of speed. He's not like a Takele Nayarovoro who's like super powerful and physical. And he doesn't quite have like the ball skills of someone like uh, Kirkley Beal or James O'Connor. So. What is he really good for? I think that's the issue is just that jack of all trades. And at the moment, that's probably good enough to get in the Wallabies 23. And in this mm. case, even starting. Um, I've had the chat with a lot of my mates that outside of Foley, Kurandrani, and Corbetti, mm. every other player in our back line is a utility player. Yeah. I wouldn't say that there's any one player that's predominantly played in one position without being shifted or swapped over. Um mm for whatever reason, whether it be injury or form or just through trialling. So Hodge, I don't think, is a winger. But mm. at the same point, he probably is a 
second best wing option at the moment, which is you know, a lot more uh, daunting, as I said out loud, than I thought. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so we saw James O'Connor at 13 this week. Um, I don't know. I mean, part of me wonders if it isn't more worthwhile to switch them around. And you have Hodge playing in the centers with Karevi, where he can, I don't know, maybe just be a bit more direct and there's less yeah. asked of him. And then you, you take O'Connor, who I think has probably got a little bit of a couple of meters on him in terms of pace and is just a bit more dynamic. And you put him in the yeah. outside channel. Well, that was um, probably the thought that we all had in Australia before James O'Connor came back was that Kieran mm-hmm. Rani seemed our, um, you know, locked in 13. He was the most consistent in that position, had you know only ever played in that position. And Hodge would be the backup because he was mm-hmm. versatile and he had relatively good defence at the time in that position. Um, mm-hmm. He read the game fairly well and he was useful to have on the park just for, um, you know, the long range penalty goal attempts, even though we don't seem to take them very often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's a tough one, huh? Do you think, uh, I mean, it seems like everybody's woken up. We've always admired Simon Karevi going forward. Uh, I, don't, I think his defense has maybe improved yeah. a little bit. Uh, the fact he's leaving Australia, uh, you're going to go play in Japan. Do you think a, a trick was missed in that respect? Yeah. Yeah. I think, in particular, I'll probably get into it a bit with the preview, but yeah, with sure. him gone it really leaves the Wallabies pretty bare. Um, last year, all of our attack hinged off having his Rafael on the back line because he could just create something from nothing. Uh, obviously, with him you know, leaving in his circumstances, pretty glad to see the back of him. But Karevi now, all the money that Rugby Australia had should have been going into keeping our only other, I guess, dynamic X-factor player mm-hmm. um, in, in Australia because now he's going to be gone for God knows how long and he's... Probably the only threat that New Zealand were really looking to shut down in that match last night. I think mm. looking at the game, um, Hanson would have just said, Sonny Bill, you've got one job. If Karevi, you know, has the ball in hand, you've got to be on it. And to mm-hmm. pretty good effect, he did that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one, one thing that stuck out to me is, well, it wasn't George Bridges trying to creating the gap for Aaron Smith. Um, he just ghosted yeah. around Sanakai Lotto. Um, he's, he's been moved into six. He's getting the title stuff right, but I know we spoke yeah. about it a little bit on the group that from a pace point of view, he might not be quick enough. Uh, but what, what's your general assessment of Australia's options at six uh, slash seven? It's an interesting one because I thought Salah Letter was slightly faster. We saw in the South African game that uh, it was a forward mm-hmm. pass off Karevi, but he kind of guessed yeah. and closely at the end. and. Yes. I don't know if it was because Nkosi had uh, you know, injured himself or so like I thought it was a lot faster than I realised. Yeah, but then in that case, Bridge got around him a lot easier than he really should have. Yes. Um, at, at the moment, I think everyone's sort of hoping that Pocock could come back and we just have a, a back row of Pocock, Hooper and Nicerani, mm. uh, which doesn't fill the void mm. of a typical blindside, but mm. it just gets out our three best players and mm. is it probably the only option that sticks out. I know sure. Dempsey's had uh, injury niggles um, and hasn't really been up to par. Uh, mm. Luke Jones is safe but doesn't offer a lot other than, I guess, a line-out prowess. So, mm. I, I mean, I like I like the Luke Jones option. But, I mean, so I hear what you're saying. And, like, it's 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 a tempting route, I think, for Checker to take because it feels kind of low low risk. But, I yeah. mean, then it's almost like you're falling into the same trap with your forwards as, as you've done with the, the backs. Because... Yeah. Currently, the backline just feels like Czech, Czech has picked the five best backline players um, and then just kind of put them in the position where they can have the, the best upside. 
And that's kind of how we end up with like a Hodge on the wing type situation, you know? Um, And then it's fine probably for for 80% of games, but you're going to have those moments where you have those those 50-50 passes you're talking about, which are either going to be seven points for your side or seven points for their side. And if you don't have a specialist in that position, that's probably where you get found out. And, and, and yeah, oh, with, 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 with Salakai Lotto, I mean, I think even he is is a little bit of that. He's like a utility forward. He's not a, an out and out blindside flank. And I think yeah. the, the difference between what we saw so last week, okay, he's an athlete. He can run in a straight line fast, and that's what he did for the Sorry. the try that never was of, of the Karevi forward pass. But what we saw this week was his mobility, like his ability to turn to turn inside outside. And yeah. he's a, he's a big guy and he's not agile, so trying to turn him like that is where you get the advantage over him. Whereas uh, a sort of specialized blindside flank like a Sean McMahon, if he was playing, or like a Jack Dempsey, I reckon, or even like Peter Stiftatoy nowadays. I think because he struggled with that early in his career as a, when he was playing blindside, and now I think he's gotten a lot better at the turning inside outside, which is what you need yeah. from a loose forward. It's, uh, it's it's tricky. I mean, I think yeah. For, for, from that perspective, maybe it is better to just go with three best ball players. Um, I, I think yeah. if we had a standout blindside, it would be a lot easier to put them in there. I, as you say, yeah. I think Saka Lotto is as good a lock as he is a, a blindside. Yeah. Luke Jones probably in a bit of a similar situation where you'd nearly have him at lock if he were a little taller, but fits in at six just because of the players we have on offer. Outside of Dempsey, there's no one really in the squad that's been given much of a chance. And I think it really stems back to 2016 through to 2018, spending so much time persisting with Ned Hannigan at six. It didn't allow a lot of option to develop anyone else. And Hannigan, to his credit, tried as hard as he could, but (laughs) just wasn't a test-level player. And, Mm. you know, he's, again, a hybrid lock and six. We just needed someone to fill the void of a, in passing a Rocky Elson or Scott Fardy that, yeah. was a, a very genuine blindside flanker and performed just that role spectacularly. Yeah, yeah look, I mean, I, Phil's, Phil's mom's chili sauce is a bit more effective than Ned Hannigan, and uh, <laughs> I, can t- I can testify to that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a tricky one. Um, I think a couple of teams are being found out in this, and I think the All Blacks are another one, because yeah. they, they've just never filled the void of Jerome Kano. Um, and I think they've also kind of fall into that trap of saying, oh, it's fine, let's just get the three best ball players on the on the field. And now they're looking to play Artie Sevilla at seven, sorry, at, at six, at blindside flank. And great, you know, Artie Sevilla this weekend, I think, was probably one of their better players on the park. But was he doing a blindside's job? I don't think so. I think he was, he was doing more of that sort of hybrid open side role that we see from like Michael Hooper or Sia Kulisi even. And again, it's it's one thing to have a player like Adi Sevier on the pitch at, at blindside when you're playing against a pretty you know ineffective um, attack in the form of the Wallabies this weekend. Last weekend they struggled against that because everything was going right for the Wallabies. And I'd I'd go out on a limb and say if they were to, to take that approach against a team like the Springboks or or someone like Ireland, um, I think they're going to struggle without that that hard enforcing. Play at seven uh, at blindside flank. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens at the Rugby World Cup with that selection. Um, let's move on. I just want to move on to at least some of the positives and maybe suck in a bit of the insights of last week's game. Nick White, uh, he's come back with, with he's like suddenly now Australia have two world class nines. 
um, with Will Genia. I mean, we you could uh, speak to any of us here at ERB. Particularly, I love draft. Um, we we'll, we'll get it as Bay. He's just a great player. Um, and Nick White's really impressed me uh, as well. I know Squidge's analysis of how he was always um, attacking around the fringes is great. He's got a very good kicking game uh, as well. So I think at nine, uh, he's adding a lot as well. And he's nice, Arani. And, uh, he, uh, and he can shoot fire from his penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's an underrated skill. Yes. Um, and, you and you can't coach that as well. No. It's yeah, like, you can't coach that sort of skill. Yeah, it's all about those 2%. Um, and then also, uh, the fact is, Nasirani is now almost locked in. He is your... Who, who's the, Beyond him, who would be the number eight? Uh, and he's actually really impressed me uh, since coming to the test scene. Actually, I feel like he's actually grown more as a player since donning the... Uh, what do you call it? The Wallaby Gold? Canary gold? Yeah. yeah. Canary, canary, canary <laughs> gold. <laughs> Mitch is trying his best not to call it the green and gold. He yeah. knows that that's ours. Look, at, 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 at worst, I will accept the gold and green. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but there's so little green on it. I don't Because like, surely the dominant color goes first. I would yeah. say so too. Yeah. So like maybe it can be the gold and green. But... Well, I think we have a green collar now. So the green collar gives us a little bit of uh, leeway yeah. back into that yeah. status. But... Uh, in, in terms of the number eight, I think you're right. Like Nasirani is our best option. Um, they haven't given options to anyone else. You know, we've been really limited with how much game time we've given to other players, and some of it's through injury. But the only other options you'd say are Rob Valentini, who's mm. never been in a Wallabies jersey, no, and Lockie McCaffrey, who's never been in a Wallabies <laughs> proper squad. I don't think so. Yeah. It's it's pretty spread thin. I think if anything happens to Nasirani, we have to put. Pocock in, and Pocock's yeah. again not a natural eight, and isn't even you know, hasn't played since March because of the world's longest calf injury. So yes. I don't know. Yeah, I think whatever happens, they're going to be in a very sticky situation where they're going to end up with the back row of uh, Jones at six, Hooper at seven, mm. and Salakai Loto at eight, which just looks Ooh. dreadful. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, That's horrible. <laughs> does, does, does David Pocock, he exists, right? He, they posted pictures of him on Twitter <laughs> because it's like they keep telling us week in, week out, oh no, he might I play this you. week. <laughs> we saw, we saw, I showed that last screenshot I shared. You didn't see his legs in the picture. And plus, <laughs> there's no date in the photo. Like, this is the photo from last year, just as easily. I will only believe it when I see that morning's newspaper held up by David Pocock. <laughs> and I see both cars. Proof of life. Proof of life. Uh, uh, like, kidnapping. Um, <laughs> just the last word just on Australia from the, from this side, Mitch. Uh, Kirkley Beale, now that um, you shall not be named... Uh, <laughs> I was trying to figure something out to call Izzy's. Izzy, but now someone else. Uh, the, the fact he's no longer around at 15, um, Beale at 15, it seems like uh, I've missed this version of Kirkley Beale. He's great at 12, but at 15, he's an excitement machine, um, which is great. And, and more balanced and passes the ball, uh, apparently. So do you think it's been a net plus, in a weird way, um, having Beal back at 15 instead of instead of 12? It's definitely been a net plus for Beal's career, because Beal is a better fullback than 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him, it's definitely a positive. But I think, um, you know, despite everything that's happened, the yeah. back line does look worse without uh, he shall not be named in there. <laughs> So <laughs> we we got him. We got him. But Beal again, he's he's not the same sort of consistent player you'd expect from someone that's you know in their thirties and played that many caps. You know, last week very dominant, and the game against South Africa as well came mm. off the bench and was Great. probably our you know highlights package. But yeah, the game last night, one out of four tackles, he dropped four balls cold. Like he he doesn't jump mm. in the air. 
and when he does, or even if he's grounded, more often than not, he knocks it into opposition hands. So he's it, it's a shame because he provides a lot from fullback, but it is also risky having a fullback that isn't really very good in the air. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I think uh, you mentioned the Springbok game. I think we would have lost that game if he'd started. Um, it, it, if he'd he, been able to play that whole match at that tempo, yeah, potentially but, just for that creativity. Mm. But even if he hadn't, I mean, like it was because there were a lot of close margins in that game, and I think he would have been the difference. Um, but yeah, he's just he, he's a risky player. But I mean, it's kind of like Vili Larue for for us. Um, yeah, you just you can't afford not to have him on the mm. pitch at, at, at times. But uh, we, we, we're talking about uh, Bloody Bloody Two, right? We're talking yeah. about the whole game. Yeah, yeah. No, we're going to move on to maybe the All Blacks now. I'll do a bit of focus there. So, um, well, I guess my, my quick hot take. Also, Richie Mwanga uh, went off with a shoulder injury uh, towards the end, so that that will be interesting to watch. I know I haven't liked this whole 10-15 combo uh, with Barrett, but it seems to, it seems to be coming together. But I think you made the point earlier, Alex. Um, mm-hmm. How they still quite haven't solved the number six problem, and they mainly yeah. and they mainly profited off. Wallaby's errors. So Moanga's try. Uh, I'd argue that Salakai Lotto, I think maybe he was thinking Reese would take his man, a bit of lazy running. Uh, I'd, mm. I'd cite that as an error. Again, when they did the quick tap in the 22 towards the end of the game where Bridge got a deserved try, he was actually excellent. So I think Rico Ayo, mm-hmm. he's got some questions to ask. Seba Reese, uh, actually, he was excellent. So Ben Smith, beyond playing a 15, I wonder if he had a tough time yeah. coming back. It wasn't, the scoreline suggests a dominant performance. I felt it wasn't that dominant. Uh, I mean, the Wallabies gave as good as they got, but look, the, the, the All Blacks took the opportunities, but there's still some wobbles there. I don't know, what, what was your reading uh, of, of the game from, from the All Blacks side, Alex? Uh, yeah, so I think, I mean, yeah, you, you touched on something we can maybe have a bit of a chat about, which is the composition of their back three, because the Richie Moanga injury, if it is serious, and even if it isn't, I think, I think you've, yeah, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head that they've, they've tested out this 10-15. It hasn't really convinced, and I think with a couple of dodgy results in the last 12 months, um, Hansen probably is going to revert to type and just move the best fly-off, essentially, in the world, or the best rugby player in the world, on paper at least, back to his best position. So Bodie Barrett back to 10, which opens the door for Ben Smith to play in his best position in, at 15 as arguably the world's best fullback. And that leaves a space on the right wing either for Geordie Barrett or for Sevi Reese. Personally, I thought Geordie Barrett looked the best he's looked for a while coming off the bench. And I think that as a, probably one of the most utility backs in the world where you can cover everything from 10 to 15, mm. um, you've got to have him at number 23. It just gives you so many more options in a game. So, yeah, give Sevi Reese the starting 14 jersey. I mean, wing is one of those positions where you just got to go with the guy on form. Mm. And no one had a better super rugby season, really, than Sevi Reese. Um but the big question for me is now is the left wing. Rico Ioni's had a terrible year, both for the Blues and for the All Blacks. Mm. George Bridge, eh, I don't think he had his best year for the Crusaders. I think he was actually lucky in a way not to be displaced by uh, Braden Enor at one point. But he was really good yesterday. And I think he is one of those guys who just has so much class about him that whatever whatever you put him into, he's going to rise up to it. Um it's easy to play for the Crusaders. Uh, it's not that, not that easy but, to play behind, for the All Blacks. Behind, that, behind that Rolls-Royce pack. Rolls-Royce pack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyone could look good doing it. Even Salakai Lotto. So, <laughs> I don't know. So, I, I would say there's yeah, there's there's some questions to be asked of Rico um, and whether or not it's better at this point to back the young, or not, not even young, he's they're the same age, I think, or 
Bridge might even be older. Uh, but yeah, the new kid on the block in George Bridge. Um, but I was I was chatting to Phil a bit earlier with, but uh, so if we if we go with the kind of narrative that um, the Springboks and the All Blacks are the two teams, yeah, a bit of bias here, but let's say they're the two teams we think are most likely to make it into the the grand final of the World Cup, and they've got two of the two of the actually three of the easiest teams to play against in group stages in Italy, Canada, and Namibia. Is there is this the best chance anyone's had since 2007 of breaking that John Olomu, Brian Habana try scoring record? Uh, There's an opportunity. If you ask every Reese, I'd say so. His try was excellent. Yep. Jeez, like yep. he, uh, Reese Hodge. Look, Reese Hodge. I don't. I feel like Reese Hodge would have had to take a knee in the face <laughs> if he stopped that. If he stopped that kick through. That's um, the thing. Like I can I can see Reese Hodge leaving leaving group stages at the World Cup with with ten tries. Yeah. If they play him at 14 every game and don't replace uh, him... Sorry, you mean Severis. Excuse me. So Severis, yeah. Yeah, 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 sorry. What did I say? I was going to say that's a huge fucking call. Yeah, hey, what did I say? Hodge. Reese Hodge, top charge. Reese Hodge. Oh, yeah. God. Reese Hodge. I got very excited tries. for a second. Sorry, I can fell out of his chair. That's why he went yeah. quiet. <laughs> I can see Reese Hodge leaving the, the group stages with a broken collarbone, but not 10 tries. Um, yeah. But uh, it's, I would say, so, okay, get, getting back to this game specifically, um, big upside, Adi Sevier was um, pretty dynamic. Uh, I thought Anton Leonard Bryan had his best game for a long time. Mm. Uh, I'd actually, I'd put him forward as possible man of the match. Uh, Sam Kane, also really yeah. good. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you guys think? Um, actually, well, I'm going to ask. Uh, I'm going to start with Mitch. Um, actually, since uh, through your tears, uh, as you mentioned, <laughs> pre-show, yeah. uh, just, just they're from... mostly wiped away now. <laughs> yeah. Through uh, just uh, based on what the All Blacks were doing, um, who, who impressed you, uh, particularly from that side, especially I guess in, in the matchups that you saw on the field. Yeah, I think uh, you guys nailed it with it. two of them in particular. Leonard Brown was pretty much in everything, and I think in terms of a player that can switch between being rock solid in defense, but also offload and create something in attack. He's probably, it sounds weird to say for an all-black player, but uh, probably underestimated in terms of how much he offers to that team. Mm. Um, mainly because we see him either come off the bench because of, uh, I guess, good you normally being in the 13 jersey. But yeah, he was probably man of the match and just incredible. And Severe as well had the point to prove given he was stood up and you know, penalized off the park a bit last week. But I think something that was a bit overlooked was um, Nepo Lalala coming in at prop mm-hmm. and sort of outsourcing Owen Franks because Franks, as good as he's been over you know however many years, has been a little bit rusty this year and hasn't really you know done much. He's not on around the park lately, but he hasn't even been uh, super solid in scrums. Uh, yeah. But New Zealand more than gained parity. They, I think, got two, maybe three scrum penalties off us throughout the match. So it was, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, for him, he did his World Cup chances a massive boost because they're still probably looking to iron out their uh, five best props. Mm. Yeah, I would I would say that that Australia's got a stronger um, propping core than New Zealand yeah. does right now. Because I mean, with James Slipper, Tani Latupo, and like still even guys like Scotia and Alan Alatoa, there's a lot of depth in the front row for Australia, and I don't think. I think New Zealand, for me, like their props almost typify the All Black spirit, where like the same guys get picked no matter what. But yeah. there's actually some. If you look real close, there's some big cracks. Um, and I don't think I don't think Moody and Franks are the answer for them at all. 
and the door's definitely the door's been open for a long time for guys like Lalala and Tuina Kuafe and Tonga Fasi. Um, and I think that they their biggest weakness or their biggest concern going to this World Cup is a bit of, of possible hubris and the fact that they still riding on a little bit of former glory and I think that's more prevalent in the props than anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, well, one yeah. player who I think over the last two weeks which has played a lot better, Kieran Reid. Uh, actually, I've, I've been yeah. quite critical of him over the course of this whole season, thinking he looks very underdone. I, I, I agree with you. I think Frank's, I don't want to say he's finished, but I don't know if he's going to get that starting jersey back, uh, to be honest. But Kieran Reid, he stood up. Uh, Whitelock's been a lot better. Uh, better. I don't know if we'll get we'll see Ben Smith um, again. Sonny Bill scored a try, uh, I guess. Mm. Uh, I guess. He's going to Japan, uh, one way or the other. Uh, mm. That's it. Um, someone's got to give away. Someone's got to give away their medal. Our <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, final final thoughts just uh, on this game. Oh, I wanted to mention. Um, I found it interesting. Mitch Totolatu, uh, the fact that he's not uh, getting cards uh, helps a lot <laughs> when he's on the field. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 look, he looks pretty good at two. Actually, I thought Falao Faninga would, would step up a bit more um, over the course of, of the rugby championship, but Tola Lata seems to, particularly in, in, the, in the tighter stuff, uh, he's adding a lot of value um, as well, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. He was probably going to be my silver lining when we got to, I guess, yeah. um, the few good things out of the Wallabies. Was He was probably our standout player in the game last night in that, mm-hmm. firstly, he didn't do anything wrong, which I guess is yeah. a, <laughs> a massive boost given his general play. Yeah. Um, but, Dick, yeah. yeah it was pretty solid in defense and he hits the rocks a lot harder which makes up for the lack of pocock so he is probably a bit fitter than finger which gets him that side jersey but yeah last week everyone in australia was bemoaning the fact he was starting and thinking how did this guy get a chance when he can't start for the waratahs but mm-hmm. he is despite you know the off the field antics he gets up to he's a very talented player and probably if he can keep this you know, vein of form going because um, he was solid in lineouts that was probably Again, one of our strong suits is I think we stole two or three liners and didn't really um, seem to look too shaky on our own throw. So the hooker is an area we haven't nailed down. But yeah, Lata's come through in a similar situation mm. to Nice Ronnie, I think, and probably stamped a claim to say, I'll take the starting jersey. Yeah, um, 100%. Okay, I think look, they'll, they'll leave it up for uh, Bledisloe too. Um, oh, just a quick one. We feel it's bullshit that the Bledisloe stays with the team, even though it's a draw. Um, I feel it should be drawn. I know others feel it should go differently. I think it's it's unfair. <laughs> I just as, as sympathy <laughs> towards yourselves uh, in, in particular. Um, so that's just my opinion, Alex. Is that how it should go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I just think you should have to win it outright. So um, I, or I, either you have to win it outright, or it defaults to the a draw, the challenging, the challenging team. So if you go one all, then it, it switches sides automatically, just to keep it more interesting. But yeah. Uh, but even if, even if you don't, I'll, I'll take yeah. that. <laughs> but I also, I mean, but I also think that the that Bledisloe three is the stupidest fixture. Yeah, in the, in the, I don't the, like that. I'm just trying to figure out, guys. I mean, so if stupid. as an Australian, would you be happy to have just get to earn the trophy by default by drawing? I don't know. But it's not by default, because like, drawing against the All Blacks is a big thing, right? I mean, uh, true. But if, and if you, no, no, I'm true. If the whole, like, you win it, right? So the All Blacks win 2-0, and they win it. Then if you next year draw it, then they fail to defend it. Like, yeah. That's the way I think it works. Yeah, um, no, no, I understand that. I'm just curious. Uh, from, from, by, by not winning, how would you feel as an Australian, Mitch? 
I sort of it, do agree with you, Alex. I tend to agree with you, though. So, that's why I'm just curious. I want the psyche of an Australian that yeah, I've yeah. got one. Now that I've actually <laughs> got one, is quiz. Examine him. Yeah, I think, yeah in, in theory, it'd just be great to have it. I mean, I've um, admittedly been a fan of rugby and and so Wallabies since probably 2006. So I've never seen the sort of like I don't have a clue what What's it looks that? like. <laughs> I've seen it. There was a stat that technically no one's posted on Facebook or Twitter about Australia having won the British Low Cup because both of those have been around less time than yeah. the last time Australia yeah. lost. Oh. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It, at the moment, it does seem mythical, so it seems um, like a nice idea to, I guess, win it without necessarily earning it. But strangely, the biggest thing I heard it. Um, in my workplace and through groups of friends before the match uh, most recently was, oh, gee, I wish it was based off points difference so that if we had a ah, you know, close okay. loss, we'd still get mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. in both times where that's been the case, 2015 and this year where we won the first match, the second game, New Zealand blew us out by more yeah. than we'd beaten them by. So <laughs> even if that were the case, we still haven't really earned it. it it's yeah. tough. I, I'd like to be um, in a position to earn it, but yeah, I think... Fair enough. At, at this point, it, it is an interesting idea that if they can't win it, then it is forfeited. You know, that would yeah. be a, mm. a bit of a shake-up and probably create an even more dominant New Zealand team. <laughs> yeah, or or even just have it as like if you if you draw, then neither team gets it. You, get, you have to win it up. Yeah, and then just yeah, have really so, just, so it just defaults to Argentina in the season that you draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. and Argentina just holds onto it for a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, mentioning Argentina, let's let's move on uh, to uh, South Africa versus Argentina. Yeah, Mitch, please uh, chip in. I'd be, be very interested to hear your views uh, on some of our players, Adam, good or bad. Well, Adam, you're welcome to this to the to the segue. The segue. Oh, oh, thanks, Matt. Um, I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you for being so humble and giving it to me. Uh, what a lack of uh, Look, I'm, I'm here for the service. I'm yeah. here to serve. <laughs> yeah, to serve. Uh, yeah, South Africa won 24-18. That's a good friend, bro. Uh, won 24-18. And uh, overall, uh, it was a pretty shit game to watch. I think the, the biggest highlight was probably, well, three major highlights. Subu and Corsi's two tries, in particular a second, where Swan Dive uh, led into eating some turf, but two fantastic tries for him. And then the obstruction call at the end, which uh, pretty much handed the game to South Africa. Um, yeah, I, be, I felt it was actually a valuable exercise in after the victory over the Wallabies in Johannesburg. I think there was a lot of hubris going around, and I, myself included thinking, oh, now we now have depth. That is not entirely the case. Argentina came to play, and I think their B team actually, I argue, probably had some of the better play, uh, to be fair. Yeah. So I think it helped answer some questions that some of the players uh, around on Alstaff, looking at you, um, aren't ready. <laughs> but uh, so I think the biggest winner of the game, uh, Alex, Subun Corsi, uh, naturally. I think we, we were chatting about yeah. this, whether we'd have him at 11. Um, big debate at 11, especially with Deontay and Fit. So, uh, yeah, well, how do you think it went? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a tough couple of weeks on on South African rugby Twitter, to be honest. Like, there's been like a bit of a whirlwind of of people being overconfident, and like, there's a lot of hype around players that I don't think is entirely warranted. Like, you know, people saying like, "Oh, what are we going to do with like the number eleven jersey now that Gianchi's injured?" But Gianchi didn't own the jersey. Like, he he came out of nowhere last year. And then got a chance at the jersey. And I don't think, I mean, I've said it before on the pod, I don't think he was that good last year, actually. I think that Spoon Corsi probably should have been the breakthrough player of the year mm. uh, instead, instead of Gianchi. But, I mean, at this point, Gian, all, all Gianchi is, is 
the guy who was previously the next Brian Habana. And he never... I mean, he still might, he's still young, but like at, at this point he hasn't reached his potential, so he's not that fundamental. And the number 11 jersey, even if Gianchi was fit, I would have still given it to Mapimpi for the last two or three games. Um, I don't think that that's a, a result of Gianchi's injury. But, okay, so Mapimpi had the chance to get the number, jersey, the number 11 jersey for the Rugby World Cup, and I think he dropped it. Uh, he didn't play well, and now it's up in the air. Anyone can have it. And Sabun Corsi made a pretty strong bid for it yesterday. So I would say, yeah, basically echoing what you just said, Adam, um, the only player that left yesterday's game having definitely kind of improved their fortunes is Sabun Corsi. Um, the other guys... I'm going to make a bold call. Do you know who else improved their stuff? Yeah, and that's good to see by getting concussed and not playing for the, <laughs> the game because he did one good thing, then got concussed, so he yeah. left on a high. <laughs> Literally. So but, I think also his stock is slightly improved. Yeah. Just because he didn't get an opportunity to fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys? Do you guys want to give your thoughts? And then I've got I've got my ratings prepared, which we can run through. I don't have uh, the rationale for them. No, I no, that's cool. To... No, I think look, we we're already over an hour, and we still need to get to the World Cup preview. So I think just the score okay, will okay. We can uh, leave will, it. will count. Uh, Mitch, did you uh, did you uh, did you watch the game? We just watch the highlights uh, at all. Um, I did watch the game. I was nice. I was really impressed. I think Springboks now, while New Zealand still have. Uh, a lot of even obviously expectation to be the favourite. Springboks are very easily the second, if not tied, favourite for this World Cup. They've come in in the best form and honestly, I think have the best depth in their squad now. Um, this game probably didn't do a lot for some players. I know uh, Lades and Thomas de Toy at SAs and Stain, they didn't really get a chance to press their claim, but um, they've got pretty phenomenal 31 players to pick from. So I think this game, um, my big takeaways were Reinach just wasn't mm. really up to scratch. Um, I, I think he's seen what de Klerk did all of 2018 and even in bits this year um, has looked fairly solid other than his yellow the other week. Um, and obviously Herschel Yanchez has just been a freak. But yeah, I think being responsible for the early try and just not really having very clean service didn't do his chances a, a great deal of favour. Yeah, and also probably Vincent Cock as well. He um, ended mm. up with what seventy seven minutes. I didn't even see if he came off the field, but um, mm. I thought Wilbur Lowe had end. been. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, okay, uh, and yeah, Matt. Matt, just uh, your your view uh, of the game. Um, I watched it live. Um. It was fucking middle of the night. I was dead tired. I tried to watch it again today. And I couldn't get through it a second time, if that counts for much. It, it does. Um, I mean, I was, I was with guys I uh, drinking, and uh, all of us were just a bit irritated. Yeah. Yeah, we... <laughs> I, was at, I was at Phil's birthday party, and, and pretty much everyone except for me got up and went to play some board games instead. And then I left I left at half-time and just came home. <laughs> uh, just, just to highlight, of course, I like, a, like ditched a party. To, the game was that for you just, <laughs> Yeah, like it ruined the entire party for me. The like... entire social event, <laughs> done. Uh, but, to, the game was like second, like the game wasn't even part of the party's itinerary. Um, I'd, I'd had like half a litre of his mom's hot sauce by then, so I, I needed to get up. Ah, so it, was already, so it was burning a hole through the small intestine already by then. It, it really yeah, is. Exactly. Alex has gone to the loo at least once. Uh, we know. 
know of uh, in the pod. <laughs> that you know of. Yeah, yeah. that we know of. <laughs> um, just... I don't even want... You must be damaging your... I hope you're not damaging your TI chair. Um, ooh, that's actually a good point. Yeah. I, 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 I might be doing a bit of your TI chair right now. Yeah. Uh, but on the plus side, we, we were supposed to get our drains uh, snaked later on this week, and I think I might have saved us some money. I think the drains will be clear by now. <laughs> just, um, you're just shitting, you're just shitting carbolic acid. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just to highlight, but, um, of course, his stats uh, before we start uh, talking more about literally the gutter um, and, and Phil's hot sauce. Bob, I, I do want to. I, I suddenly want to try it just for the danger. It is phenomenal. <laughs> it is so good with spring rolls. It's, it's really good. Um, of course, he five or six tackles made. So again, doing the defensive stuff well. Two tries. I mean, that second was excellent. One pass, mm. uh, five runs, 67 meters made, five defenders beaten, three clean breaks, breaks excuse me. Uh, one offload, one handling error, and one penalty conceded. Um, right, let, that, we, we've talked about the good, now let's talk about the bad. Who, who have you felt had a, a bang average game and didn't do themselves any favors? I'll start, apart from him. Uh, so okay, so uh, okay, I want to balance. I want to balance my position on Elstad by saying that he he actually made Jesus. he made yeah he made the most tackles out of anyone yeah. on the pitch. He made 18 tackles, which is and that's like if you talk about core okay okay I was like I, I core responsibilities anything. like that is if if there's one there's there's two things that you want from your blind side flank, it's make the most tackles on the field and miss as few as possible hmm. and give and don't give away any, any penalties. He did give away two penalties, so his discipline is still a little bit of a problem. He's not that accurate, mm. but on defense, I've got to give him credit. His work rate is exactly what you look for. Um, but the thing is, like this was a weak, a weak Argentina side. Like he, yeah, he he, he could have done more, I think, on on attack. Um, so is he? Did he establish himself as a solid blind side? Yes. Did he establish himself as like a World Cup blindside, like a test level? I, I don't know. Like if Peter Steff gets injured in the, in the semi-final, for example, am I happy for Elstad to start against New Zealand in a final, hypothetically? And I don't, I don't think so. I think I need more than just tackles to justify that. It's yeah, I don't know. Um, we okay. So Mitch has already um, shat all over Quibus Reinach, which is fantastic. <laughs> because it saves me from having to do it. Um, I really hope the Sharks fans are listening, because I think sometimes there's a perception that we are anti-Sharks. And um, Reinach is obviously not a Sharks fan, but we, we know that the Sharks Sharks fan base, um, they don't let go of players that easily emotionally. So this whole week, it's been non-stop. Marcel Kutzir, Kovac, Reinach, Francois Stein, these guys are the best in the world. Why aren't they starting with Rossi? Um, yeah, I don't know. Kovac, Reinach... <laughs> Apparently, Rossi's confirmed that he's taking three scrum halves to the World Cup, which I think is the smart thing to do, statistically. But, oof. Does it have good... to be right now? Yeah, well, I think it's too late at this point. Unless we want to yeah, try and get... Who else? Yeah, I mean... There's no one else, actually. Yeah, Ruan Pionar is playing okay for the Cheetahs. Hmm. Um, but, no, no, I'm, I'm joking. Like, there's no one else at this point. We've, we've boxed ourselves in the corner, and, like, I think it's it's Call fine. You. But I, I think Fuck, how much... You... Yeah, I, I think what we have to do is, Yeah, it would be it would be pretty baller if, if he, but I don't think that's that's the right. I don't think that's smart. Look, I, I think it's okay. I think if, if Reinach gets a full 80 minutes or as close to as possible against Japan in our last warm up game, then it's okay. Like we we can still we can go with Fuff and Herschel Janchis against New Zealand in, a, in our first pool stage, um, and then we've got three easy games um, 
against Minnows, essentially, where Reinach can play himself back into form. So uh, I'm not that worried. But his service was very slow. You said back into form. I mean, like, we've, we've all seen the highlight clips of him from Northampton Saints this year, but, like, this is the thing about him is that he's always been a good try scorer. He's always been, like, this amazing athlete, and he's super quick. But it's the basics that are the problem. So his yeah, service from the right was just terrible. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. But, uh, and his the, the intercept try that he threw for, uh, was it Guido Petty? Guido Petty scored a good try. Yeah, Petty, yeah. Yeah, and, like, that was just so telegraphed. Um, like, my grand could have scored that. So... Yeah, but we've confirmed your grant's good at... She's a beast, yeah, yeah, that's true. But, yeah, so I think the other... Let me just quickly see... Um, I'm, I'm not going to run through all the ratings. Uh, yeah, the only other person... To that, yeah, let's just do that too. Cool. Do you want me to just, do you want to just yeah, run through them? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so get to move I'm keen to get to uh, the World Cup previews as well. So, okay, yeah. this, this was a super, super from the hip. Um, I did it just before we recorded, so yeah, I haven't... That makes it the, the most authentic... Okay, cool. Uh, so, Warwick Kalanta gave a 7. Um, he actually played okay. He had the second yeah. highest running meters and he got a good try assist for Corsi's first try, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Corsi, I gave him 8.5. There's not much more he could have done. No. Um, but, yeah, pretty pretty good performance. Uh, Jesse Creel, 6.5 out of 10. Also got a try assist. Uh, Andre Estes, also 6.5. He didn't really... He wasn't asked to do much, but he ran over... Um, uh, Diaz Bonilla a good couple yeah. of times so he did what he, did what he was asked I, I don't see him going to the World Cup um, I don't think he's going either but I, 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 I still question why he was selected to play fair enough um, anyway Dylan Lades 6.5 I thought he was pretty good good in the air um, yeah interesting interesting to see him selected Elton 7 out of 10 pretty good uh, nothing amazing pick well solid 5 I think yeah I think he only missed one kick, yeah no, so kick well, so. good. Reinach, I gave him a, a 4 yeah. out of 10 that uh, intercept, uh, proclaiming his greatness like minutes before he threw the intercept, and I just pointed at the yeah. screen. I was like, "Did you see that?" I, yeah, <laughs> I I must say, there's there's a small part of me that was glad about that, just because. <laughs> Same. I don't know. I thrive on other people's misery. <laughs> what can I say? Um, Classic Stormers fan. <laughs> Marcel Kutsier, six point five. I think he was doing good things before he went off, but uh, you can't really give him much more than that. Mm. The little man played. Oh, you um, should have just gone straight stuff, stuff rating style. Not enough time played, no rating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right on, Elstad, I, I ended up just giving him a six. I think he, oh. the good balanced out with the bad, so it was an average performance. Sia Kalisi, I thought he, he was a seven out of ten. Um, maybe that's a bit low, actually. Maybe I'll bump him up to 7.5 because yeah. he was looking really good and just back from injury. So I was really, really glad with what I saw from him. So maybe 7.5. Mm. Uh, he didn't miss any tackles, and he, he actually had three good runs, I think, where he beat defenders. Uh, then Lurt, 7 out of 10. Uh, that's also maybe a little bit low, because he only missed one tackle. He made 15 tackles. He was really good in the lineouts. Um, so, yeah. Archias Neyman, he was the other bad performance oh, I for thought, me. I thought he actually... Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I'm, yeah, I've got him at five. I've got him at five out of ten. I'm happy to be talked up on it. No, but... no well, I heard Mitch agree with you. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah Mitch, you, you didn't yeah, think much yeah. of Arkea's game itself. Well, just watching the game, I think mm. to play a full eighty minutes at that size and to be, I guess, that ineffective with hit ups, um, mm. and, and not even overly solid in defense. Either. I think well, Union Live has him at four from eight. Um, yeah. He yeah. didn't really yeah, stick I, out. I, I <clears throat> 
he's in a bit right. of an interesting position probably because he's definitely going to the World Cup, but he's trying to play into a starting position, trying to force his hand and do a yeah. bit more than he probably needs to. Well, what I liked, okay, look, I must admit, I didn't, I didn't check the stats, and you make a fair point on um, getting over the game line, but I know that's talked about a lot. Uh, I do feel, though, he's got the best hands out of all our locks. Yeah. Little tip passes, offloads. Um, I liked watching him do that, but I, I think you make a good point. If he's not doing his core role super effectively, uh, that does detract a little bit. Line-up, we were very lucky that we've got thousands of line-up jumpers. So, um, okay, no, that, that's yeah. no, interesting, interesting point. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry, Alex, yeah, please continue. <laughs> no worries. Um, Vincent Koch, I gave him a solid 7 out of 10. Yeah, I think no. he, was really, he was really good in the scrums in 13. He only missed one tackle, so 13 out of 14 tackles. Um, mm. He... Yeah, he also milked the penalty for us right at the end, the abstraction penalty. Yeah. So, <laughs> technically the match winner. Scott Britts, 8 out of 10. Very good performance from Scott Britts. I think he made a real case for himself. There were there were some doubts, I think, over him. Yeah. There have been ever since he was recalled from retirement. But also he only missed some one good tackle. captain battle. Yeah, great, great captain I think he, he stayed in the reps here. Hmm. I don't know how much of an impact that had, but it seemed like a lot of the 50-50 calls were going our way. Yeah. Um, there Paul was also Ted that. Will agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw that from Paul Ted. I like. I don't know. I don't want to get too into it, but like, it felt for me like there were more sort of 55-45 calls than 50-50 calls. Yeah. So because like each one of them, I felt like they were soft, but they were correct. Yeah. So we could talk about the abstraction just now, but like. It's right on the, like the entry level of abstraction. Like it was only just abstraction, but I still think it was abstraction. No, you know what I explained um, as I was driving back from this uh, medieval thing uh, last night, and uh, I was just all the uh, way to Pretoria. <sighs> yes, that hour-long drive to Pretoria. It was, yeah, it wasn't hour long, but I mean, uh, we, we, I was chatting to it with my wife, and I just explained it. I said, mm, but it's, but she said, well, could Koch really have tackled? Um, forgive me, I don't know the Argentinian player. I said maybe, but it's more about. He was denied the opportunity to do so. That's what that's yeah. what the breach is about. It's not really you. You, you Ben, um, Alex, talk, what do you call it? It's outcomes based versus. Uh, yeah. What's um, it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like ex ante reasonableness as opposed to ex post facto reasonableness. Uh, what does that mean? Sorry, I don't do. So, ex, well, so like ex post facto is like after the fact you look back at um, at like mm. what happened uh-huh. and then you, you base it you base it on the outcomes, but ex ante reasonableness is. If you if you wind back the clock to just before, and then you yeah, say what's okay. like, what could happen, yeah. so what are the possible outcomes from that point? So it's more that's more about you, so ex ante reasonableness is you judge based on the actions taken by the players. Ex post facto, you look at the outcomes arising from those actions. Yeah, okay, so it's very much so, ex, ex post facto um, sort of reason. But that, that's how I explain it, and I, I think it's true. I don't want to get too bogged down to it. Let's just move on to the bench. Uh, but still, still got the previews. Uh, well, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. I actually do the bench. Oh, um, I just felt uh, Front Stain, uh, he's pretty slow, hey? I mean, he got that ankle tap. So, I like, like, the ankle tap was good. Yeah, that was great. The ankle tap was like, I don't know how many guys are going to get that ankle tap. No. And it shows, like, and that's what he's there for. Like, he's yeah. there for the brains, he's there for the maturity and the experience. But, like, he was the one who kicked the ball away into the, like, literally into yeah. the guy's hands. Yeah. He so, didn't have the greatest game. And he came on, the crowd went wild. It's like, oh, France yeah. is jeez, like he... Uh... No, but Bulls fans, they remember back when the... So, Frontsta- peak Frontstein was also peak Blue Bulls. <laughs> Not necessarily that the two overlap, but it's time-wise. <laughs> well, they, they, did, overlap. they did in the Durban final. I think it, I can't remember which one they stuffed up. Uh, might have been him. I'm not sure. 
Uh, I'm just trying. But to it think. was him. He, he, he missed touch. Yeah. If France was staying, that's why the that's why the Loftus crowd was cheering him. Because <laughs> if he had missed touch with that kick, that Brian Abana wouldn't have scored the try. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. They're like, ah, oh, this guy. Um, I'm just trying to think uh, any other comments. Um, uh, Mitch, just uh, any, anything that you would just like to add uh, from this game before we move on to the preview? So we won't we won't chat about Argentina much uh, unless you, unless someone wants to make a point. I thought they were a lot better. But uh, they, there's a big gulf between their starting 15 and their reserves. But they did play a lot better, I think. So at least Desmond would be a bit happier with that. I, I can say yeah. so much, but let's see what Mitch's is. Oh, the only thing I wanted to was pretty much ask you guys was I've put down for Springboks, I think, you know, Mpimpi, LaRue, Colby, and Kosi are locked in as four of the outside backs. Yeah. I'm undecided. I don't think Halant's a game breaker or no. probably as good as um yes, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. As, as some people say. So for me between Halant and Lodes who hasn't given a lot but also hasn't had a lot of opportunity, yeah. I think they're really backing on Deontay to come back and be able to play because other than that you'd be taking Halant and only playing him against Minas. I don't think he's gonna be much use against um, you know, a quarter final against Ireland or Scotland or, you know, in the New Zealand clash. So uh, who do you think stood up in that fifth position? Uh, I will, I, I'll just give my quick shot. Uh, yeah, just knowing that Colby, I think maybe in Rassi's mind, will be a reserve 15. I, w- mm. I would probably say, sorry, yeah, well, uh, no, Damon Willems, jeez, uh, oh, his injury is coming at a really bad time. Um... So I was going to say Lades, but I'd rather have Lades over Galant. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Um, seems... I, I, I'd take Lades. Yeah, but I don't know if Rassi will do that. Galant, um, he's almost like regressed. I use the word regressed. He's like kind of become a, a Zane Kirshner. He used to have a bit more of a running game. I know you said it for try. Yeah. And that's why he's like, he's become more of a Zane Kirshner. Maybe it's like coincidence that he's at the Bulls. I, I agree with you. Um, I'd take Lades, but I suspect that Rassi will choose Galant. Um, if Deanti isn't fit, if Deanti is fit, then I, I imagine Colby will cover 15, um, at a guess. Uh, but Matt, Alex, uh, what do you think? Uh, Matt, do you want to go first? With? Picking Kalant. No thanks. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you were going to make it a nice fit to be Yeah, base. it was like a little pause there. No, 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 I didn't watch, I didn't watch, watch okay. the rugby with Korean Nick, so Korean Nick was like, hey, that guy was at my school. <laughs> I didn't have that influence in my ear. I watched yeah. the game alone last night, so... Yeah. Well, no, I, 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 I apologize to Korea Nick in that case, because I'm going to back Adam as well, and I'm, I'm going to say that, that Lades is the right guy for this job. I think if... So, the thought experiment is basically the same one I had just now with, like, Ron Alstott, right? If LaRue gets injured on the night before a World Cup final who do you want to pick? Like, who do you choose to replace him? And I believe that Kalant is the better fullback than Dylan Lades. But I don't think he's the better replacement for Vili LaRue. So, yeah. if LaRue yeah. had bro- had broken his leg in January and was out for, like, the whole year, and I would have backed Kalant as our fullback, and I would have game-planned around it. I would have changed our strategy to suit him. But if you watch the way like the, the, the role he plays in the Springbok backline currently, I don't see Khalant being able to do that. No. And I think that Lades is the only guy we've got who's close to having that skill set. He's the 10-15 guy. The creativity he, of it. Yeah, he played, he played a lot of fly-off in his, at his junior days. 
And even for this for the Stormers, he he often pops up into the line when you least expect him. He's got a lot more of a sort of creation-minded uh, approach to the game rather than a finishing mindset. And Kalant, I think, is more of a finishing fullback. So I think with that in mind, I think I think Rusty's going to go with Lairds. I think he's going to go for the poor man's Willie Larue um, to complete that that back five. Um, yeah, I think it's it's too late for Dianchi. It's too late. Like, and he wasn't well enough established. Like I said, he was all he was was the 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 next Brian Habana. He never reached that peak. So he hasn't done enough in his last six months to cement a place. I don't think. Um, but yeah, there was another point I wanted to make. Uh, oh, it was about the Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think after this we'll move on to to the previous. So we should talk yes. a little bit about them. So I know a little bit uh, <laughs> time constraint. <laughs> so, yeah. No, no. Let me. Do, I'll, I'll just do it quickly. So the, the two things I wanted to say. The one was um, I was really impressed with Mensa, their center. Um, mm. I kind of I kind of shit on him a little bit in my in my um, previews because I'd never heard of him. Well, I knew he was in the <laughs> squad, but like everyone was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" And as I pointed out, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So like does he even exist but he was really good he was probably their best player in the back line I thought um Tuchelet was really bad uh Mojano has been bad all season I don't know he why. has yeah but like but this was his last chance like this was yeah. his chance to, to try and make some kind of a bid to to get his jersey back from Buffelli and I think he stuffed it up and even like they celebrated back, outside backs like Cancellieri and, and Mojano and even Carreras off the bench, I don't think any of them were really that good. Um, but I wanted just to throw back to something that Adam said right at the beginning of the segment, which is we he's now like a little, we're a little bit concerned. We've got cause to be concerned about our depth because our second stringers didn't do so well against their second stringers. I don't think that this is our second string team. I think this is our this is more like our third string team. Mm-hmm. All, all things considered, especially in the forwards. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, our, our, the locks and centers were the second stringers. So, Lurt and Archer, Jesse Creel, and, okay, not really other Esther Hazen, but fine. But, like, Krubus Reinhardt's our third string scrum off. We essentially had our third string front row in Koch, Dutoy, and Brits. We don't even, we don't even know that Koch and Dutoy are even going to the Rugby World Cup at this point. And Scott Brits is third in line behind Bongi and Marks. So, for me, it was like our C team against their B team. And we mm. still came out. It was, yes, it was a dull game. I don't blame that on, like, the quality of the players. I think it was more the occasion. It was a friendly match. Nothing was on the line. And I think a lot of people were playing for themselves, like, playing an individual game. And maybe there was an attitude of, like, if you're in the team at this point, then Russi's already considering you. So, all you have to do is not fuck up. So there was an attitude yeah. in the Springbok camp of like low risk, low return. And I think very similar for the Pumas because they've got much less depth than we do. So everyone in their team, in their 23, is probably going to Japan. So yeah. it was a case of like, don't fuck up. Don't give Ledesma any reason to doubt you now. Just get through the game without any obvious mistakes and you'll be in Japan in a month's time. And I think that's why we saw a pretty poor match. Mm. Um but I think it's encouraging for the Springboks. I think that the fact that Thomas Dutoy and Vincent Koch and guys like that, uh, like Marco van Staden, guys who aren't going to be in Japan, were still able to hold their own against the second string uh, Pumas. I think that's good. I think it's fine. Mm. So overall, it was, a, it was a successful outing for both teams, I think, in terms of World Cup preparation. And I think 
both coaches were able to answer a couple of questions they had about their selection. So that's all. That's all for me on that game. Cool. Uh, well, then, uh, with that, let us uh, please uh, go into, I think, the final segment. I think we still need to give out a blame game. Um, I don't know if we'll have a shout-out, but uh, let's go into the World Cup previews and looking at the planning, Doc. Um, good job, Ben, putting this together. Uh, right, I'm going to be talking a bit about Wales. Uh, Mitch, Mitch, our guest, he'll be speaking about Australia. Uh, Matt will be doing Georgia via Laszlo. I don't know if I got that right. Sorry. And then... Ladlow, sorry. I mean, Alex. No, no, there's no L, is there? There's no L. There's no, there's there's no, there's no second L. It's, uh, sorry. it's Lado. Sorry, Ladlow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there's no second L. Sorry. Just I'm, saying, L, I'm, not, I'm not hung over today, so I really shouldn't be making these mistakes. So, um, right. I, let me go first. I, get this, I'll, I won't be too long with Wales. Uh, I'm standing in for Ben, because Ben really wanted to do Wales. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and again, this document's pretty nice. So, uh, Wales, their world ranking is now one. Uh, they've played 37 games of the World Cup, won 21, lost 16. Their best performances, semifinals in 87 and 2011. Uh, as their strengths, and look, I know they beat England uh, over the weekend with a mostly first uh, first strings uh, first string side. Uh, and actually, uh, Mitch, since you also watched, watched their most recent game, if you have anything to chip in, uh, please feel free. I just said amongst their strengths uh, heading into the World Cup, uh, I said their experienced coaching team. Uh, I know there's a warrior staleness there, but the fact is Gatlin's been there for ages. Um, it's now pretty much a well-oiled machine. They're a well-coached side uh, as well. They've got a nice blend of experience and youth, uh, just in terms of the number of caps. So just that nice thing, especially with a lot of their team playing for the Scarlets. Uh, there is that shared understanding. And uh, overall, I just think that they're a team that know themselves very well, uh, and they're very structured. I mean, they can still they can still play uh, a good, good sort of exciting rugby, but uh, they, they're just a highly experienced, well-oiled, well-drilled machine. Uh, in terms of their weaknesses, uh, I'd probably say the major one is that Toby Fadatar, that he's injured, that he's not going to be at the World Cup. So that's a big loss at eight. That's a lot of their more physical go-forward ball. Uh, lot, the other one I noted was just previous World Cup experience. They've only made the semis twice. So uh, will they get further? Uh, they uh, Beyond maybe Adam Wynne-Jones, the great Adam Wynne-Jones, there's not too many of their players Maybe some of them. Uh, there's not not many of them have reached the heights of, of World Cup semi-final. And then lastly, um, I might sound kind of intuitive saying this. I do feel physically, if you can get on top of them, uh, like going back to the 2015 quarterfinal against uh, South Africa, uh, often England they beat on Wales using their physicality uh, just to try to knock them out of shape. I do think uh, that is one way. If you're very very physical, uh, you can knock them off their perch. Their key forward, uh, to state the obvious, it's Adam Wynne-Jones, uh, the legend, uh, 33 years old, 126 caps for Wales, uh, their leader and inspiration. And their key back, uh, I, I, I split it between Jonathan Davies uh, at centre, uh, the communicator, key in defence as well as attack, and also Liam Williams uh, at 15. I think a good boot, but also I think a broken play. Uh, he brings a lot. So this is where I think Mitch, you could agree with me or disagree with me, because we're going to move into Australia next. I think Wales will win the pool. Um, against Australia, and as a result of that, they'll reach the semi-finals uh, because I think they're going to end up facing. I think they're going to either Argentina or France. I think it's Group D, Group C versus Group D. Uh, they, they, their quarterfinal will be a cuckload easier uh, compared to if they lose to Australia. So based on that prediction, uh, the state of the most important fixture is Australia. Whoever wins that game will reach the semi-finals. I actually had them finishing second. But uh, going through our chat today, um, I actually changed my mind uh, as, as we were talking. But it's just there, there's, there's certain concerns for me, particularly within um, the Aussie, uh, Aussie, Aussie pack, 
particularly at the loose. Um, I think it's just a little unsettled. And I feel maybe that's an area, since Wales are just uh, quite a cohesive side, they might have an edge. So, I mean, that's my preview for Wales. I think that they're a very, very good team. So if you play badly, that you, that you, you will lose. They're not... I don't think they are the world's best rugby team, but they're certainly among the best, if that makes any sense. So, uh, Mitch, uh, yeah, and you can maybe segue into Australia since uh, they're in your pool. Uh, you'll just your thoughts on Wales, and, and then please go ahead and just start talking a bit about Australia and where you think they're going to do. Yeah, I think um, everything you've said with Wales is pretty bang on. Um, Jonathan Davis is their most reliable back, but I think Liam Williams probably has to be there biggest threat just because he can break a game open and he's shown that in the Lions series and and playing for Wales that he's probably their biggest source of scoring points if it's not from the boot of bigger so I'd say he's probably the one player that teams will be looking if they can shut him down they probably won't find Wales scoring too many points against them Um, they don't have a lot of attacking depth but you're right they're solid Um, they've got strong forwards even without Pelletau um, and they are well drilled so Sadly, I think you're probably right with your uh, assumption that they'll top the pool, and that is going to be the biggest challenge for both teams. Um, all right, well, then please just go let's launch into uh, Australia uh, in particular, just uh, your thoughts on, on their World Cup campaign uh, and your preview. Okay, thanks. Um, I, I will start with some of the stats just because they've done all right previously. They've got uh, 39 wins uh, and nine losses in their World Cup history, so I think mm. it's uh, the Tide's second best or third best um, stats, um, which is promising, but yeah, form will be the indicator. Uh, and they actually held the record for the largest win and the most tries in a game in any World Cup match. So uh, if they can bring in some of that form, that would be quite nice. Uh, in terms of the 2019 Wallabies side and their World Cup prospects, um, the, the props, I mentioned a bit earlier, they're probably looking quite strong, um, stronger than you'd expect Australian props to generally look. So even without Al Latoa in those first two tests this year, they've looked fairly solid, so they'll probably rely on a bit of you know, set-piece play. Not that they've been dominant, but they've been very safe and they've been able to control a lot from them. Mm. Um, they've actually bolstered the team quite a lot with the overseas signings. I know 2015 they relied on Gitto, Mitchell, and Adam Ashley Cooper as well. And this year, Nick White and O'Connor have come back and have probably been in the top five players as form-wise in the last two games. Yeah. So th- that's probably been a nice little bolster for them. Um and the other strength I had is that they've beaten New Zealand this season. Um, mm. It's it's not a lot to go off based on the last game. They obviously can't back that up. But I think if you can beat New Zealand, you can pretty much say claim that you could beat any team on your day. Yes. Um, and it's you know it's something that teams like France and Argentina and Wales, um, since Hanson's been in charge, they've never beaten New Zealand. So the fact that Australia can do that puts them in that. I guess, tiered slightly above and slightly competitive uh, for the World Cup. Uh, the weaknesses, they've got no idea of the best back line or best uh, <laughs> use of their bench, which is a bit of a problem. Um, I think, you know, the 47-26 win over New Zealand, everyone was singing the praises and thought, there's our team locked and loaded. Uh, and then last week, just seeing that, it's a lot of just, you know, one step forward, two steps back and going back to the drawing board. Um it's been drilled in. They've got no standouts at hooker or mm. blindside flanker, which are probably two of the bigger positions. Uh, they've got no standout on uh, the right wing. And even the fly half position, I don't think you could take a claim of Lila Fano, Foley, or Tamua being in the same realm as, you know, your Farrells or Pollards, Mwangas or Barretts. Mm. 
it's it's going to be interesting to see who they select there and you know, how much they rise to the occasion. Um, uh, on top of that, I think there's no one consistently in World 15 form, and that's the sort of thing I've highlighted and that has been spoken most mm-hmm. about with um, my group mates. On their day, you could push for you know, Alalatoa or Pocock, Karevi, even Beal on sometimes, you know, being in that World 15 form. Yes. But I don't think there's anyone in that team necessarily that, you know, South Africa or New Zealand would be looking at and thinking, gee, if only we had that player, that would just, you know, do X. Um, so that's probably going to be one of the biggest things is, you know, no one that's in that outstanding game-breaking form. Um, and as I said before, there's no wings. Uh, hard to score points without them. <laughs> Um, I think there's two two, uh, two points I'll pick up on. The one just beating the All Blacks. Um, I think I think you're 100% about that. When when South Africa managed to squeak that win last year in Wellington, suddenly uh, yeah. possibilities opened up. So I, I don't think we can uh, understate the, uh, or I don't think we can overstate the importance of that in terms of belief. And Australia can beat everybody on their day. Um, I think the one player uh, you made an interesting point that I would love to have in our team versus anybody else would be Simon Karevi. Actually, at twelve, yeah, um, I yeah. feel that that's uh, he's oh, he's just great. Um, actually, I'd rather have a career v over uh, Sonny Bull uh, in particular. Weirdly enough, I think he's is one of the world's best twelves um, going forward. But no, I think I think he got it pretty bang on uh, that game against Wales. So I'm trying to find out where it is. Australia, uh, unless you could read it off your head, Wales Rugby World Cup. I hope I hope it's a weekend so I can watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just having a look. Are you obviously on the time zones? Do they suit you quite well, uh, bitch? Yeah, oh. yeah. Japan, they're they're two hours outside of Australia, so they um they fit in pretty much perfectly. So it'll be a little yeah, bit they... earlier than we're used to. So oh. it'll be a sort of afternoon to early um evening match, which you know is perfect given you know 2015 was in England, which was terrible for us. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I guess it goes and swings and roundabouts. The... Yeah. The Arch- ah, here we are. The Australia versus Wales uh, game. It's at Tokyo Stadium. Hell yeah. It's on a Sunday. Good. This is good news. Uh, uh, 29 September. Um, that- bad news for Space to Bren. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sw- Do you think Swayze watches rugby on a Sunday? That doesn't seem like rest. No. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I think he just gets too stressed. Uh, True. No, it gets too analytical. No. Uh, thanks. No, thank you, Mitch. I very much pre- appreciate uh, the analysis. Um, as I said... Also, um- Yes. I've been trying to think of, since Mitch said you can't score tries without wings, I've been trying to work out how to call Australia Icarus. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> That's so I'm good. Trying to, I'm trying to work out the best way to come up with an Icarus analogy oh, for Australia. So you just the reminded me. You said this, I'm, I'm the missing. second you said there are no wings. I'm, I'm like, huh, how can I make it? Is he Falau related as well? Yeah. So, and I just can't think I missed, anything. I missed the opportunity to call the SR Argentina game uh, Metaslow. Um, Alex mentioned that in the bullet. So it was very much Metaslow. Um, okay. Um, fun. We'll just we'll shoehorn it into the title and yeah, then just hope no one yeah. notices. Okay. Uh, Matt, could you please uh, read uh, read the, the... I'm not going to say his name. I'm going to fuck it up. Uh, okay. I don't. Thank you. Could you please read his preview for Georgia? Or, or read it out. And okay, also, um, thank you, by the way, for contributing. We very much appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, first of all, thank you very much for sending it through ladder we really appreciate yeah, it yeah I, I think you're traveling Lado, or something so thank you yeah ladder yeah. this was an i really enjoyed reading this so this i got this when i woke up after the game and it was or this morning and it was quite fun reading this i'm not going to pull an adam and read verbatim <laughs> okay thanks i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be pulling adam and read a news article verbatim so what i'm gonna do 
is I'm just going to sort of skim and I'm going to bait all the content will be here, but yeah, because also, yeah, it'll be a bit of a disservice, I think, here and there. So this is Georgia's fifth World Cup tournament. And as Lado points out, he's nervous that this is most probably going to be the one where they might not see much of an improvement on the previous tournament's results. So that's just that's tempering his whole his whole thesis statement here, just as a heads up. So their first tournament, 2003, in Australia, they're in a pool with England and SA and Samoa. So their big hope was to beat Uruguay, which they didn't do, sadly. And then 2007 is the one they beat Namibia. I think, Alex? Yeah. And then yes, that's 11, right. So they they yeah. beat Namibia twice, 2007. Yeah, so the, yeah, the first yeah. the first Namibian win. So 2007 was the, their first World Cup win against Namibia. 2011, they picked up a win against Romania. And they also had a fairly decent performance. Lost against Ireland, but still, you know, looked like they were in the game. 2015, they came out with two wins. Once again against Namibia and the other one, Tonga. And yeah, um, I'm going to get into the predictions for this tournament, I think, later. But yeah, so that wraps up their sort of their history in the tournament, so to speak, their win records and so forth. So the key strength of Georgia, I think, is something that plays right into my heart. And that is that they essentially just have forwards. And then they just happen to just pick up four, five oaks outside, hanging outside quickly to come form a backline. So, um, yeah, so it's something that by the looks of what Lado's written is something that they pride themselves on as well. Um, so, someone correct me. So, Lado, if you're listening, is it Lelos or Lilos? Anyway, so Lilos, Lelos. I want to say Lilos. My guess, Lilo. no, I was going to say the other one. I was going to say my guess is Lelos. Lelos, Lelos. But I, I don't know. Lelo, okay, let's say Lelos. So Lelos themselves, they pride themselves on having a forward pack that can just dominate anyone at scrum time. And yeah, so that's and obviously then what I've touched on their weakness, besides being a team that doesn't get much experience and has been barking at the edge of, edge of Six Nations, but no one in the Six Nations wants to play with them. So yeah, they just... By either not having much experience and just basically just their f- obsession with forwards, so they don't really look at backs at all. So that being their weakness, um, them. So key forwards, um, yeah. This there's a laundry list here. Uh, <laughs> let's look. <laughs> key forwards. Just do I just say one, two, eight, and then carry on? <laughs> yeah, the forward pack. Um, yeah. The forward pack. Yeah. So. Lelos, uh, uh, not Lelos, uh, Lado highlighted their props and their locks are essentially cultural heroes there. And two big props we should look out for are Mikhail Nash, uh, Naria, Naria Shavili. Naria Shavili, Naria Shavili, yeah. Naria Shavili. Naria Shavili, I think. Naria Shavili, uh, Naria Shavili yes. Yeah. Naria Shavili and his Montpellier teammate, Chava. That's a fun name, Chilia Chava. <laughs> so those are two props to look out for. And then this gentleman, their eight, is someone I've been – I spent most of my morning looking at YouTube videos of him just he's, breaking he's good, tackles hey. and 
bouncing guys. Yeah. Like there's one there's one try where I think he sends three defenders flying. He bounces three tackles and then drags a fourth guy over the line. Yeah. And his name is Otar or Otai. You can spell Otia. Sorry, Otia or Otar. I don't know how those two are. Apparently the same same name. But yeah, so he spelled either way. But uh, Geo Gadza. So apparently the the next Gorgadza, Geo Gadza. Yeah. And yeah, he yeah, like I said, I enjoyed watching him. So he's definitely going to be someone to look out for. Mm. He's excellent ball, like a big, powerful ball carrier. The way if he gets the ball from the videos I saw of him in the in top fourteen, French top fourteen, where he gets the ball within five meters, he will carry the ball over the try line. Yeah, and then, yeah, he's he's yeah. really good. Yeah, he was great at the under twenty world championship a couple of years ago. Yeah. So speaking of under twenties, that leads me nicely into uh, his backline player highlights. Yeah, like I said, it, as he says, yeah, handling the ball is our biggest problem, and the back rows are just no match to what the forwards create. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So there's oh god. Uh, yeah, you see, you see, you know why I read things, Matt. It's hard. hard no, no, no. Okay. No, no, okay, Adam, pronounce this name for me. A B Z H A. Hold on. A B Z H A. N D. N D. A D. A D. Oh Jesus. Z E. Z E. Uh. Okay, you you puzzle that one up for five minutes, and I'm gonna carry on with the one I was talking. Absurdanza. Yeah, yeah, that's so, yeah, pretty yeah. much right. Yeah. Abzad 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 Abzad. Abzad. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like, fuck, it sounds like a lyric from like a Russian yeah. dancer. Abzad dancer. Um, <laughs> so he was the fly-off at the under-20 level, Tedo Abzad Danza, and then his scrum-off partner, Ap- Ap- oh God, Aprecite. Aprecite. <laughs> so of course he's kind of partner. So yeah, I'm, I worry that he's highlighting two under twenty players as the halfbacks, as like backline players to look out for. But then there's also Krivi Kashvili, mm-hmm. who is who will be playing if he is playing this tournament, his fifth World Cup tournament for the Lelos. So he is sort of a fly-off fullback cover. So he is, I think he, if they've got an under-20 fly-off, he's, Kashvili is likely to be playing as well just for sake of veterancy. And yeah, so I think what's interesting now is seeing um, what he's mentioned. And so, yeah, so he's... Their game to look out for what he considers to be their make or break of the tournament is their game against Fiji. So essentially they need to beat, he's predicting they have to beat Fiji and come third in the pool and they'll consider that a successful World Cup. Sure. If they come third in the pool, that's a huge success. Yeah, and that yeah, game, so, uh, that game, Georgia versus Fiji is, oh man, so it's um, October 3rd. Um, geez, that's fuck. It's seven o'clock, so African time. Okay, I'm gonna have to get to work really early and try to squeeze in a half before before work. Seven, <laughs> seven o'clock SA time. Yeah, so quarter past seven. Uh, so it's fourteen. It's two fifteen local time uh, in Japan. Oh hmm. uh, yeah, uh, fuck. My kids are gonna have to start start watching rugby. Ah, uh, educate them. Well, right. 
<laughs> yeah. No, because yeah, because I'm on the same time zone as Japan was. So oh, all the, okay, so okay. All the games are on local time. Okay. So all the games, weekday afternoon games, are, I'm gonna have to teach the kids. Okay, this is a forward pass. Don't do this. <laughs> yeah. Don't do this. But yeah, that's it's, I think that's pretty much it. Hey, Matt. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. that's pretty much what he has to say. And yeah, I yeah, from the little bit of research I did before getting this, I I myself would have most probably come to a similar conclusion. Yeah, I think it was I, yeah. So I, I had a I had a look through Ladder's write up, and I think it was really awesome. Uh, he wrote such a good piece. Yeah, I, yeah. like I don't yeah. I, I don't know if I should have read it out verbatim, but no, we, we're a little time. bit we're a little bit long for time, so yeah, like yeah, a, you wrote like a good page and a half. Maybe we put it in notes somewhere or something. Uh, yeah, but but I yeah. think you I think you did it justice. I think it was, it was really good. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really interested in seeing that Wales. Um, I mean that Fiji that Fiji Georgia clash because it's going to yeah. be like power versus pace. Pace. Um, yeah. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be great. Yeah, and I really, I just want good things for Georgian rugby. I think that they're fantastic. I think they they deserve to be in the Six Nations instead of Italy. And I think, I think if they can finish third in their pool, it's going to be really hard to keep ignoring them. Mm. Yeah, because I think we've discussed in the past how we love Georgia and how important rugby is to Georgia. That they're one of like the four countries that have it as a national sport. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure Mitch is slipping into a coma yes, because yeah. of how far, how long we're taking. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. Uh, our last Australian no, guest, uh, the last time we had Australian guests, also they 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 promoted how long we took. They struggled. They struggled. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, uh, we apologise. So yeah, Matt. Uh, sorry, Alex. Uh, Namibia, yeah. please. Look, I'm I'm gonna keep this pretty quick and dirty, um, much like the Namibian team themselves, <laughs> uh, except not as quick. So Namibia is qualified for the every World Cup since 1999. Uh, which I think is a real achievement for uh, a country with only 2.5 million people. That's the entire population. It's the second lowest population density in the world after Mongolia. Um, and I don't see them at the Rugby World Cup, so there you go. They, I don't, I couldn't find an exact number for how many registered players there are in Namibia, but its last count apparently was fewer than 10,000. I'm pretty sure it's even less than that. I don't think that there's more than like maybe 5,000. Um, but basically we've, yeah, since 1999, we've, we've shown up to every single world cup and, um, yeah, it's, we haven't got the best record. We've never won a game at, at the world cup. The closest we ever came was our last Georgia in 2015 by one point. Uh, that was the closest we've ever made it to getting a, a win under our belts. And that was also our first ever points on the board, uh, like on the tables. So we had a losing bonus point for that. Um, but we we do have quite a rich history of rugby. Um, I probably should have looked this up beforehand. But there's uh, there was a I think Ireland I think Ireland toured to, to Namibia back when it was still Southwest Africa, so before independence, and lost in oh no it was 1991. Hang on, I'm gonna find this quickly. Sorry, I should have done my my preparation for this, but. Namibia beat Ireland in a ni- in a series in 1991. Uh, in, they, yeah, so they played two games, the Test team Ireland versus Namibia, and Namibia won both of the games. So that was post independence. Um, so there's a rich, there's like a really rich rugby 
tradition and culture and a lot of amateurs um, playing in, in the country. Uh, by the way, I recommend looking up on Wikipedia uh, the Namibia National Rugby Union team Wikipedia page. It's very educational and definitely 100% true. Um, I can read you an excerpt. When was did you get an e- email from Wikipedia saying, please stop editing this page? <laughs> no, it wasn't me. But I swear, like they they've got such such gems as um, as of 29 May 2018, they are ranked first in the world. And rugby union has been played in Namibia since 101, when it was introduced by Jesus. Oh. So uh, yeah, if, if you've got some time and you're a bit bored at work, I recommend reading the, the Wikipedia page for the the Namibia National Rugby Union team. I don't know who's responsible for this, but it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, anyway, so getting back on track. Um, the Probably the highest point for Namibia in Rugby World Cup history was in, 20, in uh, 2017. Uh, wait, there was no Rugby World Cup in 2017. The, the best season. Um, 2015, when they only lost 30... Oh God, I'm, I'm all over the best. I think it was 2007 where they lost 32-17 to Ireland. And then 2015, where they only lost uh, by one point to Georgia, which I already mentioned. Also, uh, my one of my favorite all-time tries for Namibia was against Wales in 2011, where Heinz Cole, who's the lock, scored a fantastic try where he sold a dummy um, to, I think it was, I can't, I can't remember, but he sold a fantastic dummy and then ran like 50 meters to score a try. That game is actually more remembered for Gethin Jenkins' try where he just ran through like seven Namibians, but I don't want to talk about that. Um, also, Johan Dazel scored a great try against the All Blacks in 2015, uh, and they lost 58-14. So that's a pretty good losing score against the All Blacks for Namibia. Mm. Uh, the low point for Namibia in Rugby World Cup history, it's got to be the Wallabies 2003. We lost by a record score of 142-0. So that was pretty that was pretty embarrassing. Um, there are a few key players on the current side. Uh, Ronaldo Bothma is the flank. Uh, he played quite a bit of Super Rugby. Aranos Kutsia, he plays for the Griquas, I think. Uh, he's a prop. He's quite a veteran. Torsten van Jasveld, former Cheetahs hooker. Um, he's an excellent player, actually. Uh, Ron Kitsov, is he in the squad? Yeah, he's in the squad. Oh, mm. Yeah, Ryan Kitsov also used to play for Stormers, unrelated to Steven Kitsov. Um, Chrisander Buerta, he's had some, he's been around, a, he's a bit of a journeyman. Uh, he's a fullback slash winger, and his claim to fame is that he can tackle Tendai and Tawarira. Not a lot of people can make that claim, but he can. He's done it before. Uh, Eugene Yanchis is like the veteran scrum off. He's like, I think he's over 30 years old. He's just been there forever. And then the, we've got the Johan Johan double team in the back line with Dazel and Tromp, who are the two Johans. Um, the other thing I want to mention is Phil Davies is the coach. He's the Welshman who played 46 matches for Wales between 1985 and 1995. So he's he's got a, quite a rugby pedigree to him. He's also worth a follow on Twitter. Um, he tweets every now and again about his experience coaching Namibia. Um, legend of the game for Namibia is Jacques Berger. He will not be there this year. It's very sad. I was sad. wondering if you were going to mention Jacques Berger. Ah, man. You can't talk about Namibian rugby without talking about Jacques Berger. He's just an absolute legend. Um, yeah. I hope, I hope he's there. I hope he just goes as like a bit of a talisman and to give the odd rousing speech at halftime. But yeah, so key forward, Torsten Finjasveld, key back, 
tough one. Maybe Cristiano Buerta, just because he's got experience. Um, yeah, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, there's not a lot here in terms of strengths. Um, I don't know, just like just passion. I think just the fact that you know that these guys aren't like they've got nothing to lose. Like they they're getting a, a ticket to Japan. It's like a once in a lifetime experience. You get to go play against the All Blacks and and the Springboks, and you just like you just got to fucking give it everything. Like you're going to be telling your your kids and your grandkids about this for the rest of your life, and hanging like a you know a signed jersey from someone like Bowden Barrett up on your wall, and like these are memories that you get to make, and you're never going to have this chance again. So mm. you just throw everything at it. You just you leave nothing on the field. And I think we're going to see. I like to think that they always show a lot of entertainment, even when they're losing. Like they just give everything, and it's fantastic to watch. And it, it harkens back to the day of amateur rugby, where guys would you know cycle an hour and a half from their job as like a welder to rugby practice in the dark, and then you know that feels both ways. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> yeah. and um, I mean, in, in Vintage, it pretty much is. I feel back both ways. It's in a valley. Um, but yeah, and then you know you have to crowdsource cash for your jerseys and your tickets to to matches. So it's it, for me, it's a very emotional side because it, it really represents like the purest part of rugby and what the Rugby World Cup is supposed to stand for. Uh, weaknesses is literally everything else you would want from a rugby team. We don't have skill, <laughs> we don't have fitness, we don't really have any good players. Um, uh, yeah, so. Taking that on to the likely finish, we've got Canada in our team. That's the biggest silver lining. Um, I think in Canada. The pool, uh, sorry, in the, in the pool. <laughs> um, yeah, the Canada and Uruguay are probably like the two other weakest teams at the World Cup, and the best chance we have of getting a win is against Canada. So I'm going to back them. I think that it's we've got some professionals in the squad. We've got. A professional coaching staff now as well and I think we're going to win the game against Canada and I think we're going to finish fourth in the pool and if we do that it'll be phenomenal uh, so yeah that's that's what I'm hoping for cool no, thanks uh, thank you Alex uh, thank you for that big download on uh, Namibia we all wish them the best of luck uh, and the fact that like barely anybody lives there and they keep making the World Cup I think um, again that's something that we should also recognise uh, the same applies yeah. to Fiji, Samoa a lot of these small nations uh, that are big, don't have big populations but that, that's what the Rugby World Cup's about it's really it's actually the when the Monos phase off that's their World Cup for them so uh, yeah. I, I look forward to watching a lot Can of I, those games so w- one thing I forgot to add I, I just want to apologise in advance for our national anthem it is pretty pretty terrible oh, ok cool I, I'm going to throw this out there. I looked at tickets for SA Namibia again this weekend. Okay. It's worth going. I went in, in 2007. No. There was a, a warm-up game between the Springboks and Namibia here in Cape Town. And it was fucking amazing. Like, we got blown out. It was 100 It was something stupid. Yeah. No, it wasn't 100 It was like 105 or 107, I think, because we scored an <laughs> intercept try in the first two minutes. And I still have a photo of the scoreboard when Namibia was up. Um <laughs> So it's just great. Like it's yeah, definitely try and watch that game if you can, Matt. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, look, we, we're running quite long, and I'm sorry, Mitch. I think Mitch might have fallen asleep. Uh, so thank you, thank you so much for for hanging in, th- hanging in there. Uh, very quickly, just uh, we're going to give a shout out the Adam Thompson shout out. I'm going to give that to Squid Rugby, uh, by the way, just for uh, doing the good work, and hopefully uh, him and the Six Nations can come to some agreement. I.e., Six Nations stopping a bunch of dicks. 
Uh, that would be nice. Um, There's we, a blame game there for you as well, Adam. Mm. Oh, the Six Nations, yeah. Actually, yeah, thank you very much. We're going to blame uh, blame the Six Nations organizations, yeah. Um, everybody loves rugby. Uh, let's just let's just figure it out, uh, please. That would be very nice. In terms of our Super Brew, uh, we'll leave that to a tweet because clearly we keep getting it wrong. Uh, I know Greg was beat Province, and that just meant that all my other picks were were absolute garbage. So uh, we'll just send a tweet out later this week just for our picks. Uh, there will likely be. I, I don't really know when these stat shows come. It's like Mitch. I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, I, I have no idea when they come. I just get a message on my phone saying, "Hi, please edit this." <laughs> when when you least expect it. When you least expect it. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, uh, also, I like it bold. Please edit this. Yeah. Pretty, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. And um, I've now removed ERB special because it's it's now a weekly occurrence almost. So it's a, yeah, it's a straight ball. I'm I'm assuming it's coming, ladies and gentlemen. So if not, we will let you know. Uh, as well. So just to wrap this up, uh, Mitch, thank you so much uh, for coming on and also just um, for bearing with us and entertaining our ramblings. Um, th- but we really appreciate your insights. It's really nice to have a fresh point of view, particularly from a different rugby nation. I do think we, ha- we suffer a bit from the fishbowl. So, uh, yeah, th- thanks very much. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. It was fantastic to talk rugby and very interesting to hear uh, all the thoughts and opinions. It's Definitely shaping up to be one of the better World Cups, so it's great mm. to come in and have a chat about it. No, 100%. Mm. I think, yeah, a lot of teams can win it. We don't like that, but uh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> Alex, thank you very much. Uh, I hope the hot sauce stops getting revenge on you. It's, I think it's it's simmered down, to be honest. I think I'm okay. Um, I've been, the last half an hour of the podcast, I was doing a headstand just in case. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, and uh, Matt? Uh, thank you uh, as well. Just, just for getting through a lot of those uh, uh, Georgian names. Um, but, but that was good work. I mean, Jesus, the one you sent me, that was hectic. So, uh, But thank you. Uh, are you going to be hitting the, hitting the sack soon? Uh, what do you mean soon? It's like quarter past six now. Oh, shit. Sorry. Okay, no. I'm gonna... After we, we drag out of op- bed. Yeah, I'm going to open my curtain now, switch, switch on my fan, and yeah, <laughs> enjoy my Sunday evening mm. with a bit of a breeze. Nice. And uh, yeah. Don't forget, don't forget to shout out to Lado for sending through his notes. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, thanks, Lado. Um, super, super cool. Very much appreciated. And yeah, I, I think I'm having, I'm seeing their laws there. So, uh, if you have been listening, thank you so much. Uh, there will be some more previews next week. Uh, we'll try to keep you up to date, uh, along with the stats episode coming up hopefully this week, the Phil and Ant's, uh, Phil and Ant's stat show, uh, with, uh, one, some of us as guests, actually. So, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Sometimes. Sometimes. We will catch you next week. <laughs>